Welcome back to the Cult House Podcast. I'm your host, the scholar of spite and the Saturday Night Delight, Roger Riddell. Joining me today, he is the marketing manager for Kuma's Corner and the guitarist for Chicago psychedelic punk band Dustbiters, Nick Miller. How are you doing today, Nick? Good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot that we can talk about, uh, but I guess the easiest place to start at is the beginning because there's like a lot of stuff that you've done uh prior to kuma's that's like super interesting uh that i think is like probably pretty good background um so how did you end up out here because i know that you uh co-founded black forge coffee house out in pittsburgh uh and there's just a lot of other things beyond that uh, so I'll try to uh, give a truncated version of the story. Um, but I actually, I grew up in Michigan uh, over by Grand Rapids and I've uh, been playing in bands since I was like 16 and around 20, 21, um, I got an offer to go and try out for a band in Ohio, like over by Youngstown and uh, went out there. Uh, I loved the band. I love the band members. Wasn't thrilled about moving to Ohio. Uh, no offense to anybody watching uh, that's from Ohio, but <laughs> other than a couple rock clubs in Cleveland, I'm not a big fan of the state. Um, but beyond that, uh, I I really enjoyed the music. And anyway, it was like a, a cool, like, uh, I don't know, slightly heavier kind of Radiohead style. completely different from like the technical death metal stuff that I was doing. Um, and uh, did that for a little while. And I have always had like a passion for like body modification and like tattoos and stuff like that. And I had a friend that had just gotten a job at a place called Hot Rod Piercing Company that is, it's in Pittsburgh. And, and anybody that's watching that knows anything about the body modification industry might recognize that name. They've been around for going on like 30 years now. And um, the owner actually like helped develop a lot of like the procedures that are done like modernly for, for piercing and stuff. So I got offered a, a counter job there to go up and like kind of like run the counter and like learn how to pierce and stuff. And so that was just a really cool opportunity. So I moved out to Pittsburgh and that's like how I got there. And from there, it was like getting into bartending and then um, getting into trying to be in different bands, trying to do different art projects. Um, eventually I started a promotional company for like um, stand-up comedy. I had a lot of friends that did stand-up. And so I was like working with a couple of local stand-up guys to throw shows at like bars and stuff like that because there was a lot of like, music venue bars like little dive bars and stuff like that that had open nights during the week and so they were basically kind of like begging for people to come in and do stuff so we started throwing stand-up shows and then through that that moved into like you know like catching the beginning of like the podcast wave you know like doug benson was still super active and doing a ton of stuff um this was like 
the beginning of of Rogan, kind of like in him, like his, you know, his his giant empire with Brian Redband, and like back when he was doing um, all the Death Squad stuff, you know, and like they were kind of like running everything from LA, and we were trying to do something in Pittsburgh with like the the entertainment scene and like the comedy scene and stuff there, and so through that. I just made a lot of connections in kind of like the small business world and like a lot of the entertainers and stuff like that. And so I just kind of like, I, I met some people that were trying to develop a neighborhood, you know, they had a bunch of empty storefronts and stuff. And it was like right next to where I was living. And I really loved the neighborhood. It was in a really cool spot and they desperately wanted a coffee shop. And I really wanted to own like a music venue. And anybody that's ever owned a bar knows how expensive liquor licenses are and how expensive insurance is. So a coffee <laughs> shop venue was a lot easier to do, uh, and like way cheaper and we could be all ages. So uh, me and my friend at the time uh, basically started down the venture of trying to sort out how to open a business, which that, that became Black Forge Coffee House. Um, and that was, that was a lot of fun. Like I, I had a blast doing that and we got to try out a lot of a lot of crazy things, a lot of crazy adventures um, from working with like a, a local uh, programming company that makes like retro video games. Like that's what they specialized in at the time. And we worked with them to develop like an actual Sega Genesis game that's playable on a Sega Genesis cartridge. And you can find it on um, the Xbox market, the PlayStation market, all that stuff. It's been updated for those. Like if you go on there, there the, the graphics is completely different and they've added like new characters and things like that. Um, but the original actual like Sega cartridge game is I don't even think they're making the cartridges anymore. Like I have like four of them in my possession. That might be like the last four, but uh, it's super difficult and I've never beat it without using cheat codes. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So that happened. And then um, I mean, like the funnest story to talk about was, you know, like being canceled by Trump supporters because we made a stupid punch card that somehow Fox News got got a hold of and then it like kind of just went off the rails. Um, at the time, I was very naive when it came to like news outlets and stuff like that. So I had no idea who Reuters News was. <laughs> and I just remember getting off the phone with with an interviewer and uh, a friend of mine was like, who was that? And I was like, oh, it was Reuters News. And he kind of like, his mouth kind of dropped and he was just like, you, you know what they do, right? And I was just like, oh, I just thought it was some local outlet, you know? And he was like, no, that means that people are going to start picking up the story. Like, and it could go national to international. And then within like two days, we were getting messages on Facebook from Sweden. And <laughs> um, yeah, so like that got us up to what Black Forge. And then from there, um, you know, un the, the, the bittersweet news was like my grandfather had a stroke and uh, like really affected like his you know, like a mobility and ability to like kind of live his life. And my sister had just had her first kid, which was like my first nephew. And Pittsburgh's about a six and a half hour drive from my hometown. So I was kind of bummed out at like how hard it was for me to go home and see family. And I was really, really concerned that something could happen to my grandparents and I would be too far away. So uh, my, my friend, Nick Kinsley, who is actually the guitar player and singer of Dust Biters, he was getting ready to open up a local business uh, called Black River Barbershop because he's a really fucking great barber. And uh, it was his first business. I had just got done getting out of my third business at the time. And I, I was just like, dude, let me just come down and help. I'll just be, I'll just consult when I can and like help support you when I can. If you need help, like developing your website or SEO, things like that. Let me help you with that kind of stuff because it can be very overwhelming. And I think he just had his 
excuse me, he's about to have a second child. So I was just like, just, you know, let me be a friend. I'll come and hang out and help. And I, I had fallen in love with Chicago probably about five years prior to moving out here because um, of Riot Fest. And I um, knew it was an area that I wanted to live. So when the opportunity kind of presented itself, I didn't really have much else going on. When I lived in Pittsburgh, I had like a bunch of money saved up. And, you know, like I said, the stuff going on with my family. So it just kind of all kind of like fell in line. Um, got really lucky because Kumas was hiring for serving out of West Loop. So I was able to line up a job before I even moved out here. And uh, yeah, that's what I mean, that's a very truncated version. I could go into a lot more details if you want to talk about any of those things specifically. But yeah, that like from from Michigan to Pittsburgh to Chicago, that's how I got here. Yeah, and the uh, the thing that kind of stuck out to me when you're talking about the coffee shop and doing uh, all ages with that is that uh, there's a music venue like that in Louisville where I grew up at. Uh, I grew up like a little bit outside of Louisville, but uh, anyways, uh, in high school, I used to go to this venue that was in Louisville called Tech World, and it was basically an arcade uh, that had a music venue area in the back so that they could do like all ages stuff it's it's super necessary man we we had something similar called skeletons in grand rapids yeah um, which is actually it's kind of cool because they came back like they were closed for a while and now they're back um but that was like one of the first venues that my band played when i was in high school you know and that was i mean like that was probably like 60 percent of our shows because it was one of the only all ages venues that would book underage bands um and yeah i mean like that was where we go to hang out you know it was like the coffee shops places that had a 50 person capacity and they would book cool local bands to come through. Sometimes there'd be like a, uh, you know, like a little bit bigger of a national band that needed a place to play on tour and we'd get to like a cool opening spot and like be support for it. Um, but yeah, I mean like Pittsburgh didn't really have anything like that. And they also didn't have anything that was like small capacity. Like everything was 250 or higher. So when you'd have like these smaller up and coming bands that have only played one or two shows, they couldn't get booked anywhere other than like house shows. So we were kind of like that spot that could take on for low overhead. You know, it didn't cost us much. We had an Xair uh, wireless like audio controller. So like we actually just trained our staff on how to like bring the faders up and down because all we did was give them a vocal mic, you know, small little coffee shop. We didn't have to mic anything. So all we had to do was bring the vocals up loud enough to be over the, the music. Um, so we were able to like host these shows for, I mean, next to nothing. So if it was a, you know, if the band couldn't draw anybody, I mean, it was just kind of me hanging out at the, you know, at the shop anyways. So it really didn't affect much. So it just, it, it, it created like a place for like, you know, the music community and the artist community to have that there was low risk for them to be involved with. Yeah. So, and, and having, having alcohol can like really put like a huge damper in like your ability to do something like that, just because of like how much and money is invested in that and you got to recoup those costs. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just the, the all ages part of it too is um, when you're like under 21, it's such a pain in the ass trying to find shows that you can actually go to sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you ever experienced this, uh, but I, I can remember trying to play like 21 and up places and they made us like stand in the kitchen <laughs> until our, our until it was time for us to play and then we'd have to like load out of the kitchen we'd play our set and then load out and we weren't allowed to come back into the bar <laughs> <laughs> definitely did that a good handful of times yeah, and on the uh the thing that pissed off uh the trump supporters uh what was the punch card 
Oh man. I mean, I could, I could go and grab one for you. I don't know if I have one in my wallet or not. Uh, so, I mean, like, you know, like most, most coffee shops have like the, like buy 10, get one free kind of thing. Yeah. Right. Um, so we had something similar. Yeah. I don't have one in my wallet. I'm sorry. I can go grab one. It's in my room there, over there, but I'll try to describe it. So when we were doing, when we were coming up with our punch card, the biggest thing that was like, I was like, well, if we're going to do this, I want to make sure that they don't wind up, you know, in the garbage or like people started collecting them in their wallets. And they start showing up with like five of our punch cards with all of them have like one hole in them. So I was like, how do we create something that would make people want to progress through it? Like give them a reason to come back and like get that next punch. Uh, so we started off originally doing it with just like people that we thought in our mind were like just shitty people, like evangelical, like preachers on TV, like late night preachers that would, were kind of like well-known and famous for being shitty. Um, you know, Rush Limbaugh, like, just shitty talking heads that had really terrible conservative perspectives, you know, like I don't mind if somebody's conservative, but there's also like really shitty dismissive conservative perspectives. And these people were out there just like screaming it on the radio shows. So we made this punch card, right? And like people thought it was funny and it was working and then Trump got elected. So we added him as one of the heads. Um, oh, I'm, I'm missing a very crucial point. One of my concerns was what's stopping somebody from going home and just like grabbing a whole punch and like coming in and getting free coffees all the time. So I ordered a very special like eighth inch hole punch, like a very, very tiny little hole. So that way it'd be hard to recreate. I mean, anybody could have still went on Amazon and ordered the same thing that I did. But what wound up happening was that if you use the hole punch and you put it at a very special spot on the person's face, it looked like a bullet hole through their head. Um, so when we did it to Trump, um, when we got the batch in, I, I literally just, I, I, I went through and I punched out all 10 people, including Trump's head. I sat down at our table, put it next to a cup of coffee, and I took a photo of it to basically tell people that our new punch cards were in stock. And I just wrote, you know, like, come in, take out a scumbag, get free coffee. That was the <laughs> post. Um Within like two hours, it hit some Trump Facebook group. Somehow somebody shared it to the wrong place and it just it got to some, you know, moms for Trump Facebook group or some shit. Uh, <laughs> and uh, all of a sudden, like we just saw these numbers on that post going up and we're like, what's happening? Like, this is like, we've never gotten this, this many numbers. And all of a sudden the comments started going crazy. And at first we were in there, like kind of talking to people. And then we started getting phone calls and then people started coming in and asking about it and seeing if they could get one. And then the next morning, uh, a list, like this very fancy looking lady came in with a camera person and I turned around and I was like, Oh, you must be here to talk about the punch cards. And she's like, hi, I'm, I, I forget. I think her name was like Joanne or Joanna or something like that. And she was with Fox news. And I was just like, why do you care? Like, what are you doing here? Uh, and she's just like, well, we've gotten a couple calls and, you know, and I was like, sure, let's talk. I mean, any publicity for a small business is great. You know, I was like, let's talk about it. Cause I got no shame over this punch card. I think it's like hilarious, you know, like it, we weren't making a political statement. Like, like we weren't trying to be like, fuck Trump. I just, in the same sense that you would look at like a misfits record cover or like any, yeah. I mean, like you're wearing the shirt. Um, any of like those like you know older punk and metal bands you know like they used to poke fun at political figures uh so in my opinion it was actually kind of like low-hanging fruit but people got really upset about it 
<laughs> so uh, we um, doubled down a little bit. And instead of it just being one of them being Trump, we replaced all of the heads with Trump. And so you just had to come in and, and punch out Trump's head 10 times. <laughs> um, and so it's funny. The reason why I think that it kind of like blew up is Fox News doing what they do best is they sensationalize the whole thing by basically like we were a black metal coffee shop. So like there's, you know, blasphemous imagery all over the place. And one of our drink specials, we called it a shot in the head, which was six shots of espresso poured over ice. Um, so they focused on like the camera, like shot all of the like satanic imagery stuff. And then they like focused in on that drink name. Um, and so when it went out and it hit the news, basically everybody thought that we were a bunch of Satanists that hated Trump and we were telling them to go and like assassinate the president. <laughs> and it, it escalated so fast. Uh, within four days, the Secret Service was was coming in and playing clothes looking for us. Um, I remember my business partner called me and she's like, where are you? And I was like, I'm at the gym. And she's like, don't come home. Don't come to the coffee shop. Because they came in plain clothes and the one dude had like, like tattooed sleeves. I don't know if he was trying to like, you know, you know, fit in with us or some shit. But uh, they just came in and asking for me. They didn't say anything about who they were. They're just like, hey, if, you, if he comes in, could you have him call this number? And we had been getting death threats for three days straight. So it was just kind of like, all right, these people are like straight up looking for us. Um, and it could be some crazy person trying to hurt us. I... Um, because of our status as, a, as like a small business in the area, um, we had met a couple of like, we met the police chief. He was like a regular. He would come in all the time. So I was just like, hey, these people left this card. They're claiming to be Secret Service. Um, they came in in plain clothes. What do you think we should do? And he was nice enough to set the meeting up at the police station. He was like, listen, it's like if they're who they say they are, they'll come. They'll show up. They'll have the meeting. Um, we'll sort out whatever their issues are. If they're not who they say they are and they don't show up for the meeting, then you have a real reason to be concerned. Um, I was like, all right, cool. We meet up with them. We're talking. He's, they're basically trying to play it off as if like, you know, anytime that something like this happens, they have to come and make sure that, you know, we're not actually advocating for hurting the president. And, you know, me and my business partner at the time are just kind of like laughing. We're like, we can't believe that this is an actual conversation we have to have right now. Um, and then I, then I noticed that there was a manila folder on the table. And the manila folder was probably a good half inch thick. And I didn't really notice this and probably until like 40 minutes into the meeting that I had my fucking name on it. And so I stopped, I stopped the meeting and I was just like, is, is that a Secret Service file on me as an individual? And they're like, oh yeah, no, that's just what we put together in the 10 minutes before we came over here. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like this is fucking intense and really fucking me up. Uh, but yeah, I mean, by the end of it, they tried to like, can you switch the punches over to stickers? And I was just like, no. And they're like, they were like, yeah, well, you're in your First Amendment rights. We can't tell you to stop. But, you know, we can't promise that the harassment's going to end and all that stuff. And we're like, dude, we're making bank with the amount of people that are coming to like support us over this. Like, we weren't trying to attract Trump supporters. We weren't against it. We don't care who, who your political affiliation is. If you want to come in and get coffee, it's whatever. But I mean, there was a lot of people that wanted to support us over it, you know? So like we were making really good money. So we're, we're like, as long as like our staff members are fine with dealing, you know, with the occasional like shitty phone call. I mean, somebody mailed us poop in, in an envelope. Um, <laughs> that was really weird. Uh, but yeah, that, that escalated really quick. That was really funny. 
um, that lasted for probably a good like week and a half of just people. I mean, I, there was a lot of like photoshopped images that, you know, people made to try to like make us look bad. And I mean, there's like people that were claiming to be, you know, members of the NRA and it was, dude, it was really ridiculous. Like you, I really got a really, a really good mouthful of, you know, what happens to piss off that side of the political fence. <laughs> yeah. and it was uh it wasn't a good taste and it was a little fearful because of how extreme they wanted to be um but also at the same time it was none of it was beyond like the secret service people showing up and asking for me it was none of it was like really anything that we took serious most of the time you know we were like that kind of laughing at all the shit that was getting posted and then it kind of culminated with you know the city of pittsburgh actually coming and handing us a declaration of solidarity and it was probably the most fancy. I don't have a college degree. So it was the closest thing to a college degree that, you know, we had. And uh, it was very fancy. And they had it matted and framed for us. And it was, you know, pretty cool. So we're like, oh, we made this stupid goddamn punch card and <laughs> wound up getting this thing out of it. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, that's kind of interesting, too, uh, just in light of, um, I guess this was, probably before you joined Kumas, but like back when they did the ghost burger the first time they got boycotted by the Catholic diocese. And they were kind of just like, you all aren't going to eat here anyways. Like, why do you care? <laughs> I think well, they ended yeah, up yeah, like I donating agree. a bunch of the proceeds to the Catholic charities or something too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I read through a lot of that. Um, Cause when we brought the ghost burger back, um, I was like, all right, I just want to know what, could happen you know because i remember they were protested and yeah that was the funny thing about it is they were like these are unconsecrated wafers you guys like they're not these aren't holy crackers that we're, we're putting on the burger i don't understand why you're getting so upset about it yeah you can get uh, whole boxes of them on amazon <laughs> like 10 bucks there's so many yeah. of them uh but i mean like that i mean like it was great press you know a lot of people wanted to come and eat the burger because of it yeah, I think it ended band, up on like a list of the most infamous it. burgers, right? Yeah. Yeah. And the band <laughs> loved it. The band was so on board, man. Like they were super stoked about it. Yeah. And uh I guess that kind of brings us to um how exactly do bands get burgers at Kumas? Like how do you uh I guess figure out from month to month what the burger of the month's gonna be and who you're gonna like theme it after? And then uh, I guess kind of the process of figuring out what's actually on the burger to uh, figuring out when something like actually joins the menu. Like I, that's a lot of stuff though. And uh, like I, I've, so I've been friends with uh, Luke who used to be the sous chef at OG Kumas and then ran Indie mm -hmm. Kumas for, uh, for several years. Uh, and so we've talked about this a few times, uh, you know, just like one-on-one, -on -one. but um like i know that there's sometimes there's little things that you know you can put on the burger that are kind of like little knots to the band like the megadeth burger had red hash on it because dave mustaine's a redhead you know yeah yeah um well yeah i mean like so so kind of like starting from the beginning on that like you know like when i'm trying to figure out what you know ha and unless a band has already reached out though that i would love to work with you know like sometimes bands will just email us and be like hey we're going to be in town on this date um, you know, like we're releasing an album, whatever the heck it is, you know, and like sometimes it's just like, yeah, everything like kind of lines up. Um, we should talk about doing a burger and having you guys come in. 
uh, but usually what I'm doing is I'm looking at shows that are happening in the area. I'm looking at uh, album releases. I'm looking at anniversaries. Um, I want to make sure that when we do a burger that we have something that we can kind of, you know, give back to the band. Like, so I don't want to just make the burger and then have it go out on social media and then sell it as a menu item. Um, I want to make sure that we can kind of help promote the album or like promote the show that's going to happen while they're here. Uh, do something to make sure that there's like some sort of like symbiotic relationship with uh, the development of, of, of the burger and like the announcement around it. So like, you know, this month specifically, Tim from Embryonic uh, Autopsy like messaged me probably about a month and a half ago and was just like, hey, uh, we're a new we're a new death metal band in the area. Here's my previous projects. Um, you know, here's a link to the tracks that are out now. Basically, we're trying to like recreate 90s death metal and, and make sure that we kind of like stay true to that style of music. And I listened to it and it was great. It was very, very good death metal. Um, and I was just like, yeah, you know, like they're from like he's from the Schaumburg area and uh, the bass player lives here in Chicago as well. And so it was like an opportunity to support a Chicago based death metal band that's starting to get on, you know, like get known. They're making great music. They have a history in the music industry and like the metal community and stuff. So like, it's not like, not like a brand new local band that's starting, you know, in the garage or anything. Um, but yeah, so like he reached out and then I was like, all right, cool. Well, what, what do you guys want to see on your burger? Like, what are some of your ideas? And I always kind of like give a little warning. That's just like, just please understand that like, whatever you give me, I'm going to take to the culinary people. And then we're going to, workshop this until we come up with something that tastes great um because you can give me all kinds of ridiculous you know toppings that you want on the burger but it's gonna taste like you know <laughs> it's just not gonna taste great it's yeah. gonna taste really weird if we try to throw that all on top of a burger uh so like then the, like our you know our head chef and stuff will sit and try to come up with something that incorporates at least some of the ingredients some of the major ingredients that they that they would like to see on their burger well, also pushes, you know, their, their culinary skills. Um, and will also make a visually attractive burger. Um, Cause I mean, like you've seen our photos, Kuma's has always kind of had like very over the top burgers and um, something that's happened a lot recently, like was, is, is bands will just send me like very simplistic builds, you know, like, Oh yeah. Can we do ketchup, mustard, lettuce, tomato, cheese, and bacon? You know, like, you know, we'll just be like uh, guys, we do gourmet burgers. Like we need a little bit more than just an average burger here. Uh, so yeah, so like I, that's usually the process is like if a band's coming into town and like we haven't worked with them before, if they have an album coming out, then I will, you know, I'll try to reach out to them if I know them personally or I'll reach out to their management or the label and just be like, hey, do you guys want to try and collaborate on doing something cool around the burger and the album release? Um, and then, you know, like it becomes beneficial for everybody involved at that point, because then the band wants to promote it. The label wants to promote it. Uh, the promoters in the area that are booking the show, they want to promote it. You know, we're talking about the burger and, um, it, and, and I mean, beyond that, just, they just gotta be a great metal band, you know, <laughs> like they just gotta be good at what they're doing. Um, contributing fucking awesome music. And then as far as the question for like, what goes on the menu and, uh, becomes like a permanent menu item we haven't really done a lot of that since i've been with the company i think like the only thing that we've really added like permanently to the menu was the guar burger 
Um, and that was mainly because, well, since I've been with the company, you know, I can't really speak before that, but that was because the band was really on board and they were really excited about it. And I mean, they've been one of my favorite bands since I was like 17 years old. And I pitched like, Hey, can I go to the Guar Bar? I'll fly in with one of our chefs. Um, the Guar Bar has a, a kitchen and I was like, we'll come in, we'll cook the burger. Um, whoever's available will come in and then we'll film like a fake commercial of Guar talking about the Guar Burger. Uh, and the, the manager was on board. Like he really liked the idea. And um, we talked to a couple of the members and they were like, sure, why not? If you guys are going to spend the money and come out here, we'll do it. And so we flew out there and they're like, all right, well, what's the plan? Do you want us to like kind of, you know, sell the burger? And I was like, no, Guar doesn't know who we are. Guar doesn't know who Kumas is. Guar doesn't know why we're eating burgers. Like Guar could give a fuck less. And they're like, got it. <laughs> and literally from that point on, like they would, they like, it's, I mean, if you go back and you watch some of the videos, it's some of the funniest shit in the world. Whoa, this is freaking delicious. I thought this was some gimmick burger. It's great. Why the hell are we doing this at Guar Bar? Get on it. Come on. Huh? Kuma? What the fuck is a Kuma? And they're like, oh, that's like an older sexy lady that hits on younger boys, right? And they're like, no, that's a Puma. <laughs> <laughs> they just went straight into like, you know, their characters and, you know, they were just guar and they just knocked it out of the park and it was super funny. Um, they put the burger on their menu for a couple weeks um, and like because of the collaboration in that aspect and them being really cool about all that stuff, the burger was also really over the top. It had a funnel cake on it. Um, it just kind of made sense to try and add it to the menu. Like they're, and they're legends, you know, like, I mean, like they helped shape pop culture in the nineties, you know, like people might not want to admit it, but uh, I mean, like Beavis and Butthead, you know, they, they've valued how cool you were based on how cool, guar, like how much guar was involved. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the final level of the Beavis and Butthead game back in the day, like the whole, I guess, plot of that game was that you had to pick, you had to collect all the ticket pieces to get into the Guar concert at the end. Yeah. 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 And they got all the characters all digitized and like old 16 bit animations and stuff. Yeah. I, I mean like, and then you like the Sally, Jesse Raphael episode, like I, and I've Joan seen Rivers them so many times. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, like they they're a super important band, whether you like their music or not, they're an extremely important band. And the fact that they're still out there crushing it, like still making great music and putting on an amazing show every single time that they play, like they still have the slave pit come out. They still kill off people in between every song. Like they're still murdering every president that we ever have. <laughs> you know? yeah. like, Dude, they're so fun to work with too. Like I, um, I've, interviewed them uh i guess like three or four times like different members of the band uh for both av club and revolver and the first time that that i ever did it i went into it thinking like okay i'm gonna talk to these guys out of character because this is like the dave brocky memorial like barbecue or whatever okay. and no they were still in character and i didn't expect <laughs> it and i had to like just kind of adjust on the fly 
and uh the last time that i because like after that you're kind of like okay i need to come into this like super prepared next time and uh the last time that i interviewed any of them it was uh blothar uh mike bishop the uh mm -hmm. the singer and um tried to do the whole thing in character but like there were little points where uh he slipped out of character a couple of times because like i think we were it was it was a great interview like overall but it was uh it was fun you know that's that's the main thing in all that is that like no matter what you're doing with those guys they're they just like roll with the punches like so much better than anyone else they are so good at playing those guar roles you know what i mean like that's like when we were when we were doing those commercials, I literally like gave them such little direction. They're like, yeah, totally. We got it. Whatever. And then like everything that they did was gold. Like I didn't have to reshoot anything. And then they're like, oh, do you want us to do a more straightforward one? And I was like, no, you're good. <laughs> like you nailed it. You're fine. You're saving yeah. me a lot of editing time. I appreciate it. Um, yeah. Dude, the guar bar is amazing too. Like I went down there a few times back when I was living out in DC. Like I drove down to Richmond, uh, one time I drove down there just to go to the Guar Bar, and then another time I stopped in there with a friend when we were uh, headed to a Foo Fighters concert. And um, the the menu there uh, is, I would say that it's like up there on par with Kuma's. Like it's just like I mean I know that Mike Mike Dirks is a, a chef going back like a while too, just when he's not on tour. So. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's just like a great place that he's running out there. Yeah. Oh, and it's got like a, it's really authentic to them too, you know, like it's not like this over the top kind of space that you can, you can like, you, where like you can tell they're kind of trying to capitalize off of like the branding of Guar. It's like, it's a dive bar. Like you go in there and it's just like a bunch of like metal and punk dudes hanging out, drinking shots and beers and like they have a great food menu. Yeah, and, and you just happen to have a bunch the, of their stuff like you know around. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. They had like the um, well, the world maggot was like was like they had part of it there, and then Odorous' sword was hanging on display, and every single person that they've ever killed on tour, their heads were like all all on display everywhere. It was yeah. funny walking in seeing Kanye's head up there next to you know like Hillary Clinton. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, like, uh, the ceiling, like, if you look straight up, there's the um, the weird, like, aborted fetus thing from, like, one of the tours in the 90s, just, like, up there on the ceiling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then they did, like, they they painted, like, only, like, a portion of the bar to kind of look like a guar set, you know? So there's, like, it's, like some, like, terribly painted, uh, like, castle-looking walls kind of stuff. You know, but it's uh, it's it's I don't know. I loved it. I thought it was a great place to hang. Uh, they also have a really cool patio. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's amazing to me that uh, what was basically like a bunch of uh, VCU like art students, college like art project or whatever is turned into this thirty plus career thing. I guess they're getting close to forty years now. Well. It's funny because I asked them about like, you know, all the home videos that they used to do. And they're like, yeah, it's, it's a lot more difficult to do it now because back then we just had this warehouse and there was nothing happening in Richmond because everything was like, like, you know, really to like torn down or empty. So he's like, we were just running around doing whatever the fuck we wanted, filming wherever we wanted because we had access to everything because nobody was fucking living here or doing anything. <laughs> <laughs> 
he's like now it's like a nicer area so like we just don't have like the free room that we the free reign that we did yeah you know that uh that city overall uh always kind of felt like a smaller version of louisville to me but like louisville kind of has like the vibe of a smaller austin too uh like they're all just kind of uh or at least they've in the last like you know a couple decades they've kind of grown and like bloomed into these like thriving southern art cities yeah yeah it's a super affordable town the one thing that I noticed, and I don't know if maybe like this was your experience, um, and this isn't me trying to be like judgmental about the city, but they were, there was tattoo shops and head shops everywhere in Richmond. It seemed like it was like bodega, tattoo shop, head shop, tattoo shop, head shop. And then across the street, there was another two or three tattoo shops and head shops. <laughs> and it just seemed like everywhere I went, I was like, how do they stay in business? Like they have so much competition. Yeah, yeah, I've uh, I've always wondered about that when there's just kind of that uh, oversaturation uh, in a in a market for that. It's kind of like the old joke about walking out of a Starbucks and seeing another Starbucks like right across the street. Right. Yeah, there was uh, actually in my in my hometown in um, Elizabethtown, Kentucky, uh, for a while, there was a GameStop in the local mall. And then you go across the highway and right in front of the Walmart on the other side of the highway, there's a GameStop and a standalone like uh, outdoor like strip mall. It's like, how, why do both of these exist right across the street from each other? Like who's who's shopping at both of them? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think they learned their lesson. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, sorry, GameStop. I, I tried to make a lot of money off of them when they were doing like all the the uh all the stock market stuff that was happening around them with like yeah. the main stocks and stuff <laughs> that was a very fun time um except for when robin hood halted everything the day that i thought i was gonna make money <laughs> <laughs> yeah so uh we talked about how burgers get added to the menu but like every now and then the burgers leave the menu so how does that kind of come into play because you know this is another thing that kind of goes back to um a conversation that I had with Luke once where the Judas Priest burger was taken off the menu. And I was like, how can y'all take uh, Lady Gaga's favorite burger off the menu? Because there was that whole thing for a while that she liked going there and having that burger. But you mm -hmm. know, with that one, it's like the apples were just like a pain in the ass to stock. So like, yeah, how do you decide on that? Or like, um, I guess like my favorite burger that you all have ever had was the Pantera and that's not on the menu anymore. So like, how did, how do things like that get decided? So, I mean, all right, so my experience with taking burgers off the menu actually kind of like is more attached to like COVID. So during COVID, um, prices for ingredients like shot through the roof. Um, and then because we were kind of takeout only for the longest time, like pickup and takeout only, we just had ingredients that were going bad. You know, like there was food that was just going bad. Like, and we had to like be really picky because, um, we had to just make sure that we weren't wasting anything. Um, and so things like, like the Pantera, it was just, you know, and, and nothing to do with the band. It was just not selling, you know, like a lot, it was just not the burger that people were ordering all the time. Now, had we had been open, you know, for, for dine-in or like anything other than just takeout, you know, then it probably would have lasted a lot longer and still be on the menu because it would have been still selling. But because our, 
our sales were down to just pick up and take out. Um, a few of the burgers like the Pantera came off just simply because it was like, all right, well, that burger has, I think it was like two specific items that we brought in house only for that burger. And so it's like, well, it's not really selling. Those two specific items are going bad and we're throwing them out and wasting them. Uh, so the smart move would be to like save it for, I don't know, when Pantera decides to do a reunion, like that'll ever happen. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, So like, that was like kind of like some of the reasons why some of the burgers came off the menu around that point, around that time was just because they weren't moving as often and there was a lot of waste around the products that we had to bring in for them kind of similar to like what Luke told you about the apples. It was hard to like keep them stocked. And then if people didn't order it, it was getting thrown out. So like you have these hard to find ingredients that you're just throwing away. Um, it'd be, it's, it'd be more beneficial to the burger to like wait until you have a cool reason to bring it back and like make everybody come and eat it for a weekend. And then there's no waste and everybody gets to enjoy it and have it and be stoked about it. And then wait until it comes back again. Um, yeah. Cause recently, I know the Judas priest was like back when y'all still, it was only like OG Kumas at the time. So you had like mm -hmm. limited storage space for all that too. So still do. Of, yeah. <laughs> OG <laughs> still, still has very limited storage space. Um, we're doing what we can to try to update what we can, but there's not a lot of, I mean, like without doing like complete rehabs, you know, like it'd be very difficult to make that place um, more efficient. Um, but yeah, I mean, like what was, what was it recently? Um, the sour vein, you know, like the sour vein is going to become like an exclusive, I think, to one location. Um, and that again, it's, it's one of those burgers that has, you know, we, we do this, like basically chicken and waffles on a burger and we like the waffles come in specifically for that burger. If we don't sell enough of it, that product goes bad. And, you know, like, it's like, all right, well, let's try Like, you know, like we, like the burger has been on there for a while, you know, people are kind of over it. Um, let's wait until we have an opportunity to bring it back and make it special again um, and see if there's another burger that would be cool to add. Um, and because, uh, and, and again, because of COVID, everybody kind of went to uh, touchless ordering, you know, um, uh, we switched our menus from those hard leather, leather books, you know, that everybody kind of recognizes um, because people didn't, nobody wanted to be handed anything, <laughs> you know, like everybody <laughs> kind of wanted like a safe bubble between other humans at the time. So we switched over to like just a QR code that took you to a digital menu. So at that point now, like the entire physical menu was out the window. Um, and so we had complete control over whatever we wanted to like manipulate and change and stuff like that. As far as like, uh, if we wanted to feature something or if we wanted something special, we didn't have to print anything physically and like throw out paper and replace it. Um, so that was like kind of like the first step towards being able to analyze what's selling and what's not, what makes sense to try out, what makes sense to leave there. Um, obviously a burger like, like Slayer doesn't matter how many we sell in a week. It's going to be there because it's fucking Slayer, you know, like, yeah, I love the joke and in the ingredient, uh, listing on that one too. The, like it goes over so many people's head, like the anger part of it is because it's just all the ingredients mashed up on a bed of fries. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's that, and there was actually there was a beer that was part of um, the 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 chili recipe that you know, like, it, and it was called Anger. The name mm. of the beer was Anger, um, and it just you know, it's during COVID, a lot of, a lot of stuff changed, so we just don't have that beer on anymore right now. Um, but that was actually what that was referring to as an ingredient, and it also oh. had like a double meaning 
because of Slayer. You know, they're one of the most pissed off bands ever. <laughs> yeah, I just always thought it was a joke because everything's just kind of like mashed up on a bed of fries on that one. <laughs> Triple meeting, you know, yeah. However you want to interpret it. But that, I mean, like that, that's a very good way of looking at it too. Is uh, It is, it's kind of like a garbage, it's like a, it's our version of a garbage plate almost. <laughs> so like... Yeah. So, I mean, like when things come off, honestly, and like, and we get people that are like, bring this burger back. Well, what happened to this burger? And it was just like, well, you don't eat here often enough for us to keep it. Like you specifically as a human being, like as an individual, you're not here once a week, making sure that it sells. So, so eventually we got to like put a burger on the menu. That's going to, you know, attract people to want to buy it. Yeah. Um, so, it, you know, like if it, if it's a legendary band, like, you know, Metallica or Slayer, um, they're 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 gonna have a little bit more weight on staying staying on the menu um and then you know certain certain things are just honestly it's just cost effectiveness it's just whether or not if it makes sense yeah and is there uh any of the limited release burgers that you get particularly excited about the idea of them coming back at any point oh there's always a sleep burger you know yeah. next that's next month though i mean people are gearing up already um yeah, Sleep Burger in November is always like a big favorite. Um, I love bringing the Ghost Burger back. I'm super picky about when we bring it back, though. Everybody wants it all the time, and I was just like, "Well, that's why it's special, you know. If it's if it's here all the time, then it kind of loses its charm." Yeah, so, it might be my um, all-time favorite burger that you all have had, just because the ingredients on it fit together so well. The one burger that I really want to bring back, though, is 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 the Coven Burger. The one that we did for Coven, which was, I mean, like, <laughs> they, they wanted to do something, like, really blasphemous. And, like, I mean, like, originally it was supposed to be served with, uh, like, the bone that we pulled the goat off of. You know, like, like <laughs> we had, like, a, a, a wine reduction sauce that was supposed to represent blood. Um yeah, I wish I wish I could remember everything off the top of my head, but it was a, it, one. It was a delicious burger. It was a really really good burger, but all the ingredients were you know like meticulously picked out to be some sort of representation of something blasphemous, <laughs> and, you know. And I just thought that was really fucking cool. Um, but that that one we always do kind of annually. Um, trying to think like what else that like comes back pretty frequently. Otherwise, I mean like when Anthrax comes to town. We're always about, you know, bringing the burger back. I mean, like Charlie lives around here, but uh, when they're playing a show, you know, we try to bring back the anthrax burger. That's kind of like the thing is, is that like, I, you know, I try to tell people that are like, hey, when are you going to bring this burger back? And it's just like, well, go tell them to come play a show and we'll bring it back. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, and, um, if if somebody wanted to release an album or if there's like a cool anniversary, you know, it's it's everything's done as a celebration for the band. You know, these things are, the, the burgers are dedicated to these bands. Uh, you know, I, I just saw Nate from Converge uh, for at the Meshuga show and, you know, we dropped it off and somebody in the Meshuga camp was just like, oh, I didn't know that you guys do vegan options. And I was like, well, if it wasn't for Converge, we probably wouldn't have, you know, like we love this band and a, a, a few of their members are, are, are vegan. So it's like, how do we make a burger for a band that's, you know, vegan? it's not really a celebration for them. It's not really dedicated to them if we're just making a burger and calling it after their name. So, you know, it's one of the reasons why we started adding vegan options. And uh, yeah, so like, and now it's, it's the only all vegan burger that we have on there. 
we've done cool vegan burgers uh for four people and four bands um but that's the only actual like vegan burger that is built with a recipe on our menu yeah and i know um next year is the uh the 10 year anniversary of uh chicago black metal band knock mystium's uh silencing machine album so is there any chance that that burger would come back but with the caveat that you can only pay for it via paypal (laughs) (laughs) i mean i that is doable that is possible i'm not gonna say no (laughs) but we i mean we definitely should bring the burger back um I don't know how many people are going to get that joke at this point. <laughs> we'll, we'll put a we'll put a, a pay by PayPal QR code up at our host stand. <laughs> See how many people get it. Yeah, whether or not you get the burger is another question. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> and am I? Uh, my fa- <laughs> uh, I was going to ask fa- you, like, can oh. you think of any like Chicago-based bands that should get a burger? Um. I'm trying to think of bands that I know of that haven't had one yet. Um, Cause I know that you all have done an Atlas moth burger before. I don't know yeah. if you all have done a something is waiting burger before we have. Oh yeah. Eddie, Eddie's the man. Um, I love Eddie. And uh, yeah. And I want to bring, I told him I'll bring the burger back whenever he wants to do it. Yeah. I live like right down the street from him. He's uh he's one of my favorite people in the world. I always joke that he's like real life Kramer. <laughs> he is fucking fantastic energy yeah. man i love anytime that i get a chance to meet with him i'm kind of like can we get the business shit out of the way so we can just hang out <laughs> yeah oh black cross hotel uh they're uh oh, yeah band. yeah cool cool yeah i'll look at their that. first album coming out in um sometime in the next few months i can't remember what the exact day was all right. Yeah. I'll reach out to them and uh, maybe we can sort something out. We're kind of, so we're booked up for the rest of the year. I have all the bands lined up up through de- December and I'm going to start working on the first quarter for next year. Um, I try not to get too far ahead on making plans for that kind of stuff because uh, bands just announce stuff, you know, and I don't want to like miss out on a cool opportunity. Um, so I usually try to do a quarter at a time get about two or three months planned out and then, and then hold off and wait and see what happens. Yeah. You know, my, uh, my favorite recent limited burger that you all did was the uh, Harley Quinn burger during the um, the weekend that you all did where the whole menu was just switched over to a DC Comics theme. Yeah. Um, how much do you know about the story behind that? Uh, so from what I understand, the uh, writer of Harley Quinn right now, Stephanie, I can't remember her last name. It was like it's slipping my Phillips. mind. Huh? Phillips. Oh yeah, Stephanie Phillips. Yeah, she uh she had included you all in uh Harley Quinn comic. Sorta. She actually <laughs> I was randomly on her Twitter. Um I saw some tags from some people talking about Harley Quinn and I was like, what's this? And I guess like so like one of the, one of the recent issues at that time it it disclosed that Harley Quinn doesn't like pickles. And um the the like the fan base was kind of like heated over that for some reason like like some people didn't like the fact that she didn't like pickles and um, other people didn't give a shit and uh, somebody brought up the fact that they thought that well if she doesn't like pickles then maybe she, you know like she'll never really fully be able to experience the complexity of a good burger 
And I was like, well, that's kind of gatekeeping a burger here. Some people just don't like pickles. It's not a big deal. Uh, but because of that phrasing, because they said that, somebody was like, I like to think that Harley Quinn would like to eat at Kuma's. Like just a random other person on Twitter, some other Twitter human decided to say that. And then the very next response was Stephanie coming in and goes, Harley Quinn loves Kuma's. It's canon. Add it to the wiki. Verbatim. <laughs> um, and I just kind of like sat back and was just like, I think we just became canon for DC Universe. Like, this is nuts. Uh, so I messaged her and asked her, you know, like, how would you feel about trying to do a Harley Quinn burger? And she's like, I'm actually coming to Chicago for the Gaslight Anthem show. Um, Harley is celebrating a birthday in September. We should, you know, talk about doing something around that. I'll come and do an appearance and I can sign comics and stuff. Uh, and then the more that we talked about it, the more nerdy we kind of got into the ideas. And I was like, oh, it'd be really cool if like we themed it as if we were opening up a new location in Gotham. And then our, um, the, the, the guy that manages our TikTok, Frank, uh, you know, he's, he's also a big fan of this kind of stuff too. So he was just like, oh man, like we could like rename burgers. Like we can like, you know, like all these different things we can like theme, like some of the colors and stuff. And the fact that so many of the Batman movies were filmed around Chicago, you know, like it just would kind of make sense if we had a location in Gotham. Uh, so the idea was that we were going to open up a location in Gotham and then we were going to celebrate Harley Quinn's 30th birthday by having Stephanie come out and sign autographs and stuff. Uh, we were supposed to have the retro Batmobile there too, but it was um, it was supposed to rain all, all day and that car doesn't have a cover. And so the uh, the guy that owns it was just like, I just, I, I can't risk it getting rained on. So, but we, re we rescheduled that to happen, I guess when this comes out this past weekend on Saturday. Um, for a different event but yeah i mean that was and then she's been subtly dropping hints in the comics about a burger place in gotham um and she told me that she is going to uh figure out a way to make sure that we can get fully name dropped like 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 they can fully say like kuma's corner or like this came from kuma's corner or like she'll have somebody wearing a kuma's corner shirt or something like that so when that when that happens it'll get framed and put up but uh yeah that's um not only was that burger really cool, I mean, we, we really we went up really all out trying to come up with something interesting for that burger. But uh, yeah, just to like kind of like be kind of brought into the DC universe like that, like kind of even even on like a very light way, it's still really awesome, at least in my opinion. Some people might be like, that's not that metal, but if you'd like metal, you're probably a nerd me <laughs> yeah. i mean that's not really a derogatory term in my opinion i'm a very i'm a huge dork about a lot of things so yeah and i mean I, I feel like if marvel will let brian michael bendis name drop in an out burger in dark avengers like back in 2007 then dc should be fine with stephanie phillips name dropping kuma's corner and harley quinn yeah agreed and so far they've been totally fine with everything that we were doing i mean like we tagged the hell out of them and used a lot of like um some of the branding and stuff from like the harley quinn comics and stuff and they didn't care at all they didn't say anything about it um but yeah it was it was interesting learning like part of the conversation that i had with stephanie was just like you know like how intimidating is it to take on such an established character like that has such an established story that's been you know it's been around it's been i mean it was i'm sure that you grew up watching the cartoon series you know like we all have a very clear identity of who that person is in our head. And, and she was like, honestly, it's a lot of fun. And for the most part, they let me do whatever I want. 
very rarely do they come back and say, I'm not allowed to do this. And the only time that they do say that I can't do something is because there's a story arc happening somewhere else in the DC universe with a character. And so they're like, Hey, you can't have that character in the story because he's doing this over here. And it would like screw up the continuity. But she's like, for the most part, they let me pretty much write the story how I see fit. Yeah. You know, that kind of stuff's always interesting to me too. Cause like I, um, so I'm a huge Spider-Man fan and, uh, lately uh i had on the old like 90s animated series in the background while i was working on something else and uh it was on the episode where they do like their version of sinister six but they called it the insidious six i was like i wonder okay. if that was like one of fox kids's like weird censorship things or whatever back in the day because there was like this whole thing where i think on that cartoon spider-man only throws like four punches the entire series because fox kids right. didn't want anyone punching anyone on their show so he basically like bear hugs everyone to submission <laughs> throughout that entire series and uh so i i went to like googling or whatever and uh i was like why was this called the insidious six instead of the sinister six and basically one of the writers changed the name of the group for the cartoon because they were annoyed that they couldn't use the comic version. They had to swap out like four characters. Uh, and part of it was because that animated series wasn't allowed to use Sandman and Electro at the time because they were tied up in some sort of deal for a James Cameron Spider-Man movie that never happened. Oh, but damn. Just like so much weird shit like that uh, changes the entire like makeup of a project. Right. Yeah, like, and well, and just how much like the writers can kind of like, like if you remove a character, like if like if they're writing a story around having a character arc, and then somebody comes in and goes, oh yeah, no, he's he's um, on vacation right now, so like in in this person's you know storyline, that person doesn't exist right now. So if he if you wrote him in town to be in a fight with this person, it would screw everything up. And then as a writer, you got to be like, well. I have like six fucking issues like thought out with around this shit. And now yeah. I have to rewrite all of it. Unless um, you're Wolverine. Yeah. Wolverine has time to be on like two different Avengers teams, three X-Men teams and do his own books <laughs> and make guest appearances in other people's comics. Yeah. yeah. yeah he, like, you could do whatever you wanted. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's, <a good> point. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, I mean, he's like, I guess once you're like 250 years old, you figure out how to maximize your time management. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess like, they, I mean, like they framed him to be an asshole. So it's like, what kind of damage could you do with him? You know, yeah, you could put him in anything and you really know you're not going to harsh his reputation. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so tell me about... Uh the collaboration that kumas has to uh host the world theatrical premiere of lucifer's satanic daughter oh yeah so we, we did that a couple months back um so i mean like anybody that's a fan of electric wizard knows that they like aren't the most um uh let's see active um in in like the, the like not like so much as like as a band but like the most active like advertisers you know like they're not really marketing themselves too often and they really don't do a ton to begin with but every once in a while i try to like check in on them just because i'm a big fan and i just want to see if they're you know announcing some rare show that i'm gonna have to buy tickets and fly to um 
And I got on there on their Facebook and I saw that they had announced that they were releasing two new songs on a seven inch. And I was just like, when the fuck did this happen? Um, nobody, nobody that I was watching was talking about it or anything like that. And I mean, I, I probably could have completely missed the announcement, but uh, I started researching it. And it turns out that they wrote the two songs to be on the soundtrack for this movie called Lucifer's Satanic Daughter. And I was like, oh, cool. Yeah, well, this looks, I mean, LSD sounds like it's going to be a fucking trippy, <laughs> psychedelic, weird horror film. Uh, start doing research. And it turns out that the director was from Australia. And it was, I think, his like second project. Um, and I reached out to him and was just like, Hey man, what are you doing with this movie? Like, uh, in like, is it like available anywhere in the States? Um, you know, like, are you planning any sort of like premiere for it? Um, what's, why is electric wizard on the soundtrack? Like, and the rest of the soundtrack's killer too. It's a bunch of really cool, like psychedelic bands. Um, and he was like, he's like, nah, dude, he's like, this was just a really, you know, this was just a passion project. I asked him if they would be in the movie and if they want to write some music and they were down to do it. Uh, it's never played in theaters. Every single copy of the movie that you order from his website, he hand burns and packages himself and then mails it out. Uh, and so I was just like, all right, weird idea. Like if we, if we could talk a place in around here to letting us screening it in a theater, would you be cool with us doing it? And he was just like, that would be, that'd be really fucking cool. I was like, right on. All right. So we have permission from the director. Um, he owns the rights to it. So uh, it was just like, all right, well, let's find a theater that's willing to do it. And Music Box being as awesome as Music Box is, they were just like, yeah, let's do a midnight screening. And then I collaborated with um, Metal Movie Nights, which this is kind of like their wheelhouse. That's what they do on a regular basis is do like these cool, obscure kind of like B-horror, like, you know, theater screenings. Um and so they kind of already had the formula worked out for how to host these events. Um, so all I had to do was kind of like put, you know, like the Kuma's monster behind it to kind of help with promoting and, and, and marketing and stuff. And uh, yeah. And then as I kind of like talked to him more and the more that we kind of like realized what was going on, we're like, fuck, this is like the first time this movie's ever going to be screened in theaters. Like this is kind of a big deal. Um, and then, yeah, it just kind of like, kept getting hype and when the night came it was a bunch of people that were very enthusiastic about seeing you know a you know b slasher weird psychedelic like it's a fucking weird movie man it's really cool if you ever have a chance to watch it it's really good i like it I'll, i would it's not one of those movies that is like a one and done like yep okay i saw that like it's a cool rewatch like there's like some fun stuff in there but it's definitely also like very much like a campy Australian flick like there's just stuff in there that you just don't understand because it's not our culture at all yeah. um but there's a lot of throwbacks to like that like style from the 60s of it he just he makes you feel like you're doing acid the whole time there's just so many weird angles and warped colors and shit like that and he did a really great job of making a cool film and I was just really stoked that we that he would let us do it I wish that we could get him to come here uh but uh uh yeah it's too expensive to fly somebody in from australia so maybe maybe sometime soon yeah no i need to check it out because i've seen the music video uh for the electric wizard song was for satanic daughter but i need to like actually mm -hmm. watch the movie it's a cool watch i definitely I, I definitely recommend it and and maybe like since we've already done it like maybe we'd bring it back to do another theater watch like in like a year or something like that just uh get some more people in there to see it. 
I'd like, I wanted to try and see if he would like do some distribution and let us like buy like a, a box of the DVDs to sell there. But he honestly was just like, dude, that's too much work. <laughs> I'm not <Yeah>. doing that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, tell me about the community project that you all are doing uh, to support all of the uh, weird and odd Avondale businesses. Uh, yeah, so like that's something. Um, so like uh, most people are probably familiar with the alley pretty legendary store in Chicago. Um, Mark, the owner, uh, kind of approached us and was just like, um, you know, like I see the, uh, all these local businesses constantly advertising these cool events. And he's like, I don't see why we can't work together to like help make them bigger, make them a bigger deal. And as we kind of like talked out the idea, um, you know, he brought up some of his past experiences with like creating these like community-based organizations. And the focus was like, well, let's get the community together to all work on, um, you know, helping raise each other up a little bit. Uh, so X store down the street is having an event, then we can tell our followers about that event that's happening down there on their behalf. And then vice versa, if we're doing something, they can help tell their followers. And uh, we kind of like just talked it all out. And, and the idea, we, you know, like the more that we talked about it, the more we realized how many, I haven't quite figured out the best way to describe this, um, but like how many like odd, edgy kind of, you know, stores are in Avondale. I mean, there's a bunch now. I mean, like Horror House just opened, Meteor Gem just opened. I think that there's going to be a metal or horror themed wine bar that's opening up soon. Um, and that's just within the past couple months. And so like, it was like, we've always had Bucket of Blood. We've always had Demon Tap. Kumas has been there. The Alley has been there. Um, there's Reed's Local, which they do cool shows and stuff there too. Uh, there's, I mean, like there's just so many like cool spots around the neighborhood. And so it was just like, well, like let's reach out and see if, you know, like maybe we can kind of collaborate in a sense of like, it, like if you come to, or to Avondale and you, shop at horror house right and you bring your receipt into kumas well we'll hook you up with like 10 15 percent off for supporting our community um and then vice versa if you go over to the horror house and you show them that you had a burger or you came over to eat lunch at kumas they're going to give you a small discount as well and now the alley's doing the same thing um i mean meteor jumps down to do it um you know like i'm just we're, we're, we're trying to like kind of just get everybody on board the hardest, the hardest thing about the whole thing is that it's, it's decentralized, you know, it's, it's too hard to try to run it while also having a full-time job. So it's kind of, we've got to be something that we can kind of all contribute to and like keep going. Um, but eventually we want it to turn into like the social media, like this Instagram account that you could, that you could follow that just is like an accumulation of everything that's happening in Avondale uh, that you might give a shit about. You know, like if you care about what's going on at Kumas, you're probably going to care about what Bucket of Blood is doing or what Meteor Gem is doing or what Horror House is doing, you know, or I mean, even Dark Matter, like you're, you're, you're probably going to care about all those things because if they're doing sim like they're very, they're doing very similar things to, you know, like the culture of what Kumas is involved in. Um, so it's kind of a, I don't know. It's kind of like like a, like a bummer if you miss out on those things just because you're not exposed to what they're doing. So here's an opportunity for you know us to like kind of support each other. And as we're, I mean, like the 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 doomsayers, the doomsday people out there that are saying that we're about to go into a decade long depression. Um, you know, if we even see a percentage of that and we wind up in a recession and things get really bad, 
we're all businesses are going to need all the support that they can get. So if we're all kind of like leaning on each other and supporting each other and trying to like bolster these like cool community events, it's just going to help keep us all around a little bit longer. Um, and then also, you know, that gives us some leverage to do some cool stuff, like do like some art crawls. So like we can host some art events at all the different, at all the different businesses and spend, you can spend a night in Avondale popping into all these different places and seeing really cool local art. Uh, we can come together and do some block parties and some events like, like, like that. Um, so that's like kind of the intention behind it. It's still like kind of in the building block era. Like we're, we're, we're kind of getting everybody on board, trying to figure out what assets should be built. You know, we're going to build like a flyer on the back. It's going to have like a little, little map on it that kind of points out to where all these, all the different stores are and things. Um, and then it'll kind of explain like, Hey, if you're in town, bring your receipt from this place over here and get this. And like, here's all the different discounts that they're offering. Excuse me. And then we're going to try to put together um, a handbill, like just like a cheap little handbill that people can kind of write down. Uh, well, not write, we'll print it, but um, all the different events that are going on around the neighborhood at the, all the different locations. So that way, if you, if you come into Kumas and you know, all you're doing is coming into Avondale to grab a burger, you can take this handbill and you'll know that Bucket of Blood might be doing a cool um, appearance or a horror house has uh, the dude from Candyman coming in next weekend, you know, all those different things. Uh, so it's all like little tiny little micro advertisements. And then if you go in there and you pick one up from there, then you'll see that we're doing an exclusive burger for a weekend or we're having a meet and greet or something like that is going on. Uh, I just I just think it's kind of like it's it's a it's a it's kind of a waste if, we, if we're not working together if we're not supporting each other like all these cool things that we're putting effort into and like i mean like they're cool things you know like these are things that people should get to check out and see and it sucks that it falls on deaf ears because social media just wants to like shadow ban anything that you're advertising unless you want to pay for advertisement through them so unless you boost the posts or put a bunch of money behind the posts and pay like facebook ads and shit like that like they suppress those posts so yeah. kind of a way to circumvent that stuff, going the old school route and just working with each other on like a more regional level. Yeah. So it's kind of like a, like an Avondale small business association. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're calling it odd in Avondale and the idea is just kind of like focusing on, you know, more of like the, the, the weirder otter rest, like, like restaurants and businesses and stores and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, trying to like you know be selective about like the audience that we're kind of targeting you know so like we know who our audience is your our audience is your audience so like why don't we all kind of get our stuff in front of them um but yeah in a sense that like i think a small a small business association is beneficial for everybody but also at the same time you're casting a really wide net yeah like yeah. what's what's successful what's successful for us might not be successful for the deli down the street yeah you know, it makes sense for uh for all of the kind of like like-minded businesses to make sure that their customers are aware of uh you know these other people that are doing cool stuff down the street. Yeah. When we're trying to figure out ways that like we can kind of like have people piggyback off of stuff, you know. So like when we did like the Harley Quinn thing, I mean, had it not rained, um, we were gonna have the retro Batmobile and then the alley was gonna have the the um Michael Keaton Batmobile and it was gonna be like hang out in the neighborhood like go check out what they're doing um so we're gonna like try to incorporate that kind of stuff so that way like if if you're attracting people into the neighborhood they have more to do than just come see what that one place is doing yeah yeah and, uh tell me about uh 
how you all got uh, to be one of the three places that has Wake Brewing on tap. Um, that was me bugging the hell out of <laughs> Wake Brewing. Um, <laughs> so like, I, I, I love, I love them as a company, and I was a fan of what they did. Uh, and I, and when I saw, you know, like how active they were with like the metal community. Um, I mean, dude, if you go to their website, like the, their homepage is them set up in their brewery with amps playing doom riffs and their whole thing is like riff infused beer. Um, and so like, I just, I just, I emailed them and was like, Hey, where can I get you guys in Chicago? No response message. I'm like, Hey, I work for Kumas. I'm really interested in having you guys stuff at, in Chicago. Is there somewhere that I can go to get it? And then like eventually like Jason reached out and was just like, hey man, like we're we're a really small brewery, man. We have a hard time keeping up with the demand of what we need. He's like, but I've been a big fan of Kumas for a long time. He's like, if our beer was going to be in Chicago, it makes a lot of sense to have it there. Um, and I remember one of the first times that I went to Kumas on like our main set of taps at OG, there was a big fat wake brewing sticker, like dead center of it. I'm not sure if you ever saw it when it was there. Um, but I was just like, we have this massive sticker for a beer that we've never had on tap. And uh, I wanted to, wanted to see how to change that and how to fix that. And he was just like, he's like, if you can, if you can dedicate a tap line, I will make sure that you have our beer. And he's like, and well, we're not going to expand. We're not going to put it out to anywhere else. He's like, I have a buddy that owns a place that I'm going to let them have it. And then beyond that, it's like super rare special occasions. Um, he's like, but Kumas is going to be known as, the place that has white beer in Chicago. And I, you know, talked it over with all the managers and, um, you know, like we kind of talked about it as like from management of, you know, does it make sense to give them a dedicated tap line? And, you know, like in the end, I was just like, guys, they're working with all of the same bands that we're working with. Like they're making one-off specialty beers and, and, you know, like and dedicating them to these bands. And then those bands are coming to town and then we're dedicating a burger to them. Like there's like a, a huge missed opportunity that we can't, that we should be collaborating with them on a regular basis. And ever since they were involved with the Lucifer Satanic Daughter, they like helped bring that whole thing and happen. Um, they were, they, they did a, a, a beer collaboration for At The Gates when At The Gates came in like just last, last month. Um, yeah, they did one for uh, Atlas Moth last year too, as part of a Vox and Hops thing. Yeah. 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 And I mean, like they're always involved with the decibel uh, beer festivals. Um, I, I see them so actively involved with the metal community and like now they're my homies. Like now, like I hit them up anytime that I think something cool is going on that they should be involved in and they and vice versa, you know, like they always reach out anytime that they're coming into town for anything. Um, and it's just awesome because they're super well-respected in the brewing community. You know, like they, when they come in all like a bunch of breweries always like want to come and like hang out. So uh, it's just cool to have them involved with stuff because I know that, and I mean, like, this isn't anything against all the fucking fantastic great breweries that we have in Chicago. I still love working with all of them. Um, and I still do a lot of fun stuff with all the local, all the local breweries. It's just, I mean, like Jason's worked with that, like Matt Pike, you know, he's like, he's been booking these bands since they first started. Like he knows them all very, very well. And so like the idea of like doing a collaboration for a beer for these guys or like uh, doing like a one-off movie screening or something like that, they just tend to like get how cool and how special some of these things are. And they're usually right on board to do it. Um, 
so yeah, so that's, I mean, that's kind of like the story behind getting Wake on tap was I just, I pestered them until he finally called me and talked to me about it. <laughs> and then uh, we worked <laughs> it out to make sure it made financial sense for both of us. Yeah, no, you uh, you mentioned the big wake sticker that's on that tap line, and uh, there's also uh, somehow a big cult house sticker on there too. I don't know how that got there. <laughs> yeah, who would put that there? <laughs> I mean, you should probably drop off some more of those too, so we can have some around. Yeah, I'll, uh, I've got like a stack of them around here somewhere, so uh, I'll bring some by sometime. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. My band's actually going out to play um, Wake Brewing Saturday. Well, it'll be last Saturday for their Rocktoberfest with Bongzilla. And um, it'll, be, it'll actually be my first time going to the brewery. So I'm, I'm really stoked about that. It'll be fun. Yeah, and uh, tell me more about Dust Biters and the uh, the new album. Uh, so the new album is Guilt. We just dropped it in August. Um, I think it was like August 18th. Um, we, I guess we would say that we're a pandemic band. Um, Technically, we started writing music before the pandemic, so it wasn't because of it. But uh, Nick Kinsley from earlier, when I was talking about, you know, my uh, my friend opening up a business, we were in a band together when we were, well, I was in my early 20s. He was like 19. Um, and it was like a between the barrier to me, kind of like worship ripoff type thing. Uh, but that's nothing to say against the, the the band members that we were in were incredibly talented musicians. I'm not trying to sit down and play the music that we were playing by any means, but uh, we had always written music really well together and we were always really close friends. So when he was getting ready to, I forget what, like they were, they, they were fully staffed. So he just had like a little bit more free time and he had actually, Oh, he was, he was going sober. He was quitting drinking. So he had all of this, like, pent up addiction energy that he had to put into something so i was like hey remember guitar here let's play some guitar <laughs> you know and like so i got him to come over and play guitar with me and we were writing some riffs and originally the idea was to just write some three chord punk like just some basic like rock and roll songs um something that would just be fun for like some old dudes to do in our spare time um and we wrote the first song and it was it was it was, uh, it was fun to play we enjoyed playing it then the riffs just kind of started flowing and our general manager at the West Loop location of Kuma's, uh, we had always kind of like really vibed on music. Like we would always get together and, and talk about bands that we were into and new albums that were coming out and bands that were coming to town, uh, shows that we were going to, shows that we've been to, things like that. And I just really knew that this guy would get it. And so I asked him if he wanted to sit in at, um, at the music garage with us and just kind of like jam some drum parts to the riffs and we'll see if this is, you know, any good. And we all got along and he was really into it. And then COVID hit and everything, the music garage shut down and we were kind of all stuck in our apartments and um, we were, we were being good and, and socially distancing and not, not breaking the quarantine and stuff like that. And so we went strictly to writing over the internet for a while. Um. And then once things started to lighten up a little bit and it wasn't as taboo to go and be around your friends and stuff, uh, I started calling around to some of the practice spaces around Chicago. And to my surprise, they were kind of desperate to have people come in because all the bands that were now inactive because there was no tours weren't paying for their practice space. So they like pulled all their stuff out and they had a bunch of empty rehearsal spaces. So we got really lucky 
and got a rehearsal space. And then we've just been writing and jamming ever since as like a bunch of old dudes trying to be rock stars again. <laughs> <laughs> and like the music came out really good. Like, I mean, like it was kind of one of those things where like we weren't, we didn't have many expectations, but people kept telling us that they liked it and that it was cool and keep trying and to keep writing and keep writing. And um, we did a burger for, um, what's that? Let's right on the tip of my tongue. Um, um, I, they're going to hate me when I, when I forget. Uh, but we met with them and their engineer, the, Alex, who did like their album came with them to the meeting. And he was a super, super fucking nice guy. He was such a sweetheart. And I just really enjoyed talking to him. And I was kind of telling him about how like we, we were doing this um, engineering by mail kind of thing where we were, we were tracking all of our own songs and then sending them out to an engineer in Nashville to mix them. And it just wasn't going well. Like she just was, she wasn't doing a, she was doing a great job for what she saw a vision for it, but she was not getting what we wanted. Um, and we were just like, kind of like pouring gasoline on our money and lighting it on fire at that point. I mean, we were like a thousand dollars invested into two songs that sounded terrible. And so he was like, well, I'll come out and hear what you guys have going on. He listened to us and he was really excited about it. And he was just like, I'll record you. He gave us a great deal. Um, brought all of his stuff over to our practice space and recorded everything for us. And it's it's like, I mean, like, I don't know, anytime that you're doing something like an artistic expression of this kind of stuff, like, you know, like making the choice to go and make it a, like a lucrative business venture, you know, and like try to pursue it in a very serious way is a very difficult hurdle to decide to do. Um, and it was kind of like him really encouraged like just being like this is kind of cool music he's like i really think that there's an audience for this and and that this could go places so um let's make sure that we put some effort into this recording and take our time on it um and that really kind of like encouraged us to go and seek out a really cool artist to do the cover art and you know like find people to help us do the music videos and you know i'm, I'm like i i had to learn how to get cassette tapes made and i had to seek out um, small independent uh, lathe cut vinyl makers because we weren't getting into any of the, the vinyl press shops. It just, that wasn't happening. They were so backed up on orders and their minimum orders were so expensive. Um, but we were able to do like some cool shit. Like this is the first time that I've ever released anything on cassette tape. You know, like I don't know how many people still have cassette tape players, but I have a record on one. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, like we did the lathe cut, like square cut vinyl. You know, and I mean, like, it's just, I've always been a musician my entire life, and I've never really had any sort of, like, commercial success. Like, I've done tours and stuff like that, but nothing that was, like, warranted us getting anything other than CDs made or putting things out on MP3s. So, every time that we put effort into it, there's been, like, a good response to it. You know, so, like, we did, um, when we were doing our initial like kind of outreach of just trying to like see if we can book some shows we immediately got picked like asked to open up for glass Straw for their 20th anniversary like sold out show and we're like yeah okay that's not one of my biggest influences of all time i haven't spent a, a stupid amount of money on that band I'll, yeah let's do that um and then we got offered to do um the electric six show out at the forge um necrogavicon most recently then when we were getting re ready to release the album like metal monkey was cool enough to want to do a beer collaboration and then 
you know, like we we did we did a burger with Pumas, and most people are gonna assume that like I was the person that that was just like we're doing a burger for my band. But in all honesty, like it was other people that worked for the company that was just like we should do a burger for you guys. And I was just like, I feel really weird having two members in the band that work for the company getting a burger because I just I just feel like people are gonna assume that it's because I of our, our positions with the company, and it still very much is because of that. But it wasn't because like we were pushing for it. It was, you know, like other people in the company wanted to support what we were doing and they wanted to help us out. And we came up with a cool idea for the burger. So now it's just like the, the album's out. It's called Guilt. Um, it's available on our website, which is just dustbitersband.com. Um, we have very limited physical copies. The, the vinyl, there's only 40 of them. The tapes, we made a 50 of each color. Uh, so it's just like kind of like now we're riding that ride of re-navigating the music world you know it's a such a different monster from when i was in my 20s back when the myspace days of just booking house parties <laughs> yeah i mean there there definitely weren't uh any like goblins and bands at that time either you know now you yeah. just got, they'll let anyone in now <laughs> <laughs> oh man that band's a trip alex the guitar player is such a nice guy and i love hearing like the vision and like the, the plans and the ideas behind that band and how much their fan base just absolutely loves everything that they do. They told me that they ran out of merch and they weren't getting a merch order. So they went to the dollar store and bought a bunch of uh, picnic stuff, like ketchup <laughs> bottles and mustard and like <laughs> random stupid shit like that. And they autographed all of them. They said they sold out. They sold out of every dumb thing that they bought at the dollar store in like less than an hour. I mean, they're, yeah. honestly, they're the reason they're the reason why we even like press CDs is because I would I went to go and see them open up for Gla or for, for Guar and every band on that tour had CDs out on their merch table. And I was just like, do people fucking buy this? And they were like, you have no idea. Our CDs will outsell pretty much everything else. And I was like, oh, I still buy nuts. everything on CD. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's like my preferred medium for music. Interesting. I've never heard that. Yeah, like Do you have I, a preference on like why. So, when the vinyl thing kind of kicked off again, uh, at that point, I had like three hundred plus albums on CD. I was like, if I start buying vinyl now, I'm gonna want to replace every single one of these. It's gonna be costly. It's gonna take up a ton of space. Yeah. So, uh, as much as I like the idea of having larger art. Uh, I can't justify the fact that I know once I get started, I'm going to want to switch everything over and I'm going to have to invest in a whole different set of audio equipment. And it's like that kind of thing. And um, as far as like anything else, like I've always preferred having a physical copy of everything. And part of the CD thing too goes back to, since I want to have a physical copy of things, it's easier for me to put that into my computer and then move it from like Apple music over to my iPhone. Cause I refuse to like pay for Spotify. Cause I just, sure. like I, I can't like justify it from a philosophical standpoint of the fact that like artists can have however many million streams it is and only get like a few hundred bucks off of it. So like that just yeah. doesn't like shake out to me. So um, there's like a whole combination of things that like add up to, Hey, I still buy CDs. <laughs> I mean, like, like it's, it's, it's 
I actually forgot I had a CD player in my car until we put out our CD. And I was like, oh, I got to test this. I got to make sure it sounds good. Um, and then I realized that I had a CD player because I've always just Bluetoothed everything. Um, but yeah, I mean, like that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I totally get that. I probably would probably feel the same had not my entire CD collection been stolen and I had to shift everything over to burnt copies. And so then I kind of like lost my attachment to my CD collection. And then I just started buying um, like, the, like the, the, what I would deem personally as what I thought would be an important vinyl. So when like there would be like a super limited version of like a collaboration or, you know, something like that, I'd be like, oh, there's not a lot of these. I probably should pick one up while I'm here. Oh, yeah. I've been so. tempted to buy so many like Sabbath like re-release box sets or like Metallica re-release box sets. But then I'm just like, this is this is the uh, the gateway to yep. tens of thousands of dollars replacing my CD collection with vinyl. <laughs> That's no joke, dude. I, I had a roommate who had an entire room dedicated to his record collection, and it was just shelf from floor to ceiling on every single wall. And I mean, he had to have $30,000 invested. And I mean, granted, if he was like really, really good at it, he probably could have resold all of that stuff and made a hundred grand, you know, like with like the resale value on some of that stuff. But Jesus Christ, the amount of money that he had just in those collections. And I mean, to his credit though, he spent every single night when he would get home from work, he would get high and put on a record. So it wasn't just sitting on the shelf in boxes as a collection. He was actively listening to every single one that he had. Yeah. You know, this is uh, this is kind of where I'm at with my comic collection right now, because like I. Um, I've got it. The, there's like a whole wall of my like living room that is just like shelves that have big hardcover collections on them. And then there's like a whole wall of my bedroom that's just like taken up with like the comic short boxes that have single issues in them. Like I've got 18 uh -huh. short boxes and I think like 12 of them are nothing but just like Spider-Man comics. Cause I've got like, I'm 14 issues away from having every amazing Spider-Man from number 198 to 900 and whatever it is that they're on now. Holy uh, shit. Yeah, like I've uh, <laughs> and like some of them I I paid like 15 or 20 bucks for a few years ago like the first Carnage I remember paying like 20 bucks for that in 2007 in like near mint condition or whatever and that's like a 4 or 500 dollar book now because they put Carnage in a movie. <laughs> and uh wow. I've got like First Venom signed by Todd McFarlane and oh, uh, shit. yeah. So, like that's like, crazy <laughs> that's like uh that was i i bought that like under the price for it uh at like 250 a few years ago before the first venom movie came out the amazing spider-man 300 yeah. and um that's like when i look at it now like the grade that i bought that in uh for like the condition that it was in it's like a seven or eight hundred dollar book now <laughs> plus it's got like his signature on it um and then I've got, uh, when I met Stan Lee in 2016, I got him to sign Amazing 252, which is the first issue that the black costume is in, because uh, I didn't have any of the Stan Lee books at the time. Uh, yeah. Those are just like, once you get under 200, they start getting pricier. 
Uh, and yeah. like, I'm just like, I'm, I'm not trying to spend like a hundred thousand dollars on a book or like more than I like a, my upper limit that I've spent on anything is like what I spent for amazing 300 and amazing 236, which is like first hobgoblin. Uh, okay. So those were both How like 250 when I bought them. That's still, I don't, I feel like that's reasonable for somebody that obviously has like a, an affinity for that, that series, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And like me, I've got I... so much stuff that I spent like 15 or 20 bucks on. That's like a few hundred bucks now. And uh, so it's like, it's stuff that's appreciating in value. So um, I, I just justify it to myself. Now I was like, this is an investment. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It very much is. Uh, I mean, like, yeah, it's, it's it's just like if you were collecting baseball cards back in the 50s, you know? Yeah, um, it's a modern art collection. Yeah. And also, like, it's something that is, like, you're passionate about and you would like to own. So ultimately, that's the most value right there is that you have it. Yeah. I have stupid shit that nobody else in the world is, thinks it's as valuable as I do. And I spent dumb money and had to travel super <laughs> far to find it. <laughs> and it's just like i'm not gonna get the money that i even paid for it if i try to resell it but it's i have it and that's the the whole point is i wanted it <laughs> yeah um yeah i mean like i've met people that dropped stupid money on like movie props from movies that they were obsessed with fuck it dude that's the best part about being an adult <laughs> yeah. you get to collect all that shit you know i um I've been like a in the Star Wars collecting like side of things before too, but like I've had to at some point just be like, I can only focus on collecting one thing because otherwise this is too much. Like there's there's only so much space that I'm ever gonna have, and there's only so much money that I'm ever gonna be able to spend on any collection. But um, I had back around 2016 also kind of set out on this whole idea that. I was going to meet everyone from like the original Star Wars cast that was still around. So I got oh, Carrie cool. Fisher, uh, like the October before she passed away, uh, which was super cool. Cause like I, uh, I met her at New York Comic Con in, uh, in like a movie quality, like Han Solo costume. And so like I get <laughs> up to her table and she looks at me and she's like, I love your outfit. You look adorable. And uh, I look at her and I'm just like, this is a hell of a place to meet a princess, huh? And uh, she goes, come here. And she like grabs the side of my face and like pulls me across the table to where like our faces are like this far apart, right? And like, we're just like locking eyes. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, how did I end up in this position? Because like, I'm trying to figure out what she's going to do. Because I knew that she was like a little like, I don't want to say crazy, um, but she was kind of spontaneous at times from what I've always understood. And so uh, she like reached down and grabbed like a handful of glitter that she had at her table and just like rubbed it all over my face <laughs> and my neck. <laughs> That's an amazing yeah. story. Yeah. And then she signed my Blu-rays and I, I went on my way, but uh, there's still like a little bit of the glitter um, in the Blu-ray set. And there's still a little bit of glitter on the Han Solo costume. I was like, I can't watch this again. And uh, so I haven't even worn it since then, but um, it was uh, it was like the the coolest experience that I've had with anyone like that. And at that time, uh, she only charged like $70 for her autograph or whatever, because like at the conventions, like people charge crazy money now because they yeah. got tired of like 
Mark Hamill, like the year after that, uh, I had a chance to meet him, but he was charging 300 for autographs. And uh, it's because a lot of these people got really annoyed that there were um, basically like people who were coming through with stacks of things for them to sign so that they could resell it on eBay. And it yep. was holding things up for the people that actually wanted to meet them. So they upped the prices, but then there's like that double-edged sword that like you've upped the price. So you're kind of like also screwing the people that really want to meet you because you're pricing a lot of them out in an effort right. to avoid people who are just coming through to make money off of your name. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It is a double-edged sword for sure. You, you make a really good point, but also at the same time, like I, there's always like the free opportunity if you just happen to be in the right place at the right time. Or if you like mail them something to sign, I've, I've heard people still doing that, you know, they'll still sign a headshot and mail it out to you if you send them a letter and stuff. Yeah, um, I don't want to take a risk on mailing out my Blu-rays that Carrie Fisher signed, though. <laughs> I wouldn't do that either. Yeah, the only member of that cast that I would pay $300 to like meet would be probably Harrison Ford, just because he doesn't do a lot of stuff like that. And because he's probably my favorite actor of all time. That's yeah, I get it. Yeah. I get it. I mean, like a Bruce, I mean, like that's Bruce Campbell to me. You know, I'd pay yeah. stupid money. To, like, I met him in passing once at a um a, a, a comic convention green room when I was waiting to interview someone because he shows up. It, I didn't know what to say to him because like I'm such a huge Evil Dead fan. Yeah. And uh, I look up and he's just like standing next to me, but he's in like a full tux with like the red cummerbund and everything. Yeah. <laughs> he dresses so nice for when he does appearances. It's awesome. Yeah. I saw him do like a, like he did like a screening for Army of Darkness. Same thing. He showed up wearing like a smoking jacket and like, yeah, he looks so fucking all like dressed to nines, you know? Um, yeah, really but yeah, nice. Same. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know what I would say to him other than like, thank you. You know, like yeah. there's very few people that I still get like starstruck for. And he's definitely like one of them. And then the only other person was like ASAP Rock. And I was just like, I've been obsessed with his lyrics and his music since I was like 18 years old, you know? So it was just like one of those things where I was like, I, thanks, please sign this. All right, I'm leaving you alone. I don't know what else to say to you. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think part of the fun in meeting those people for me for the last several years has been um, hearing what everyone else in front of me says when they don't know what to say and they just go into like word vomit mode uh there's been like a, a a couple of times that i've met henry rollins and like the people who were um in line in front of me go into like these diatribes that are basically uh do you remember the last time that you were in town uh when i talked to you then he's like no i do like hundreds of these speaking shows a year and like i i can't remember everyone that I meet because there's hundreds of people a night that that I talk to after the show <laughs> I'm sorry <laughs> yeah and I like I'm sure that you've probably like been in those circles where like you're actively trying to leave like one place to another place and then somebody will stop you're like hey do you remember like last summer at this thing at this bar where like this happened and it's like man like you're getting real specific on something that I'm not gonna remember I'm sorry but uh yeah that's happened a lot uh and that's i feel bad because both people are about to get disappointed because you have like somebody who is like a hero to somebody that's got to tell them like i don't really remember that and then you have a person that's going to have like their dream crushed and then they're not going to know what to say <laughs> yeah yeah i mean like 
I know the the like you know going term for people like that is punisher or whatever, but like none of them realize that they're punishing anyone either. <laughs> they're just like yeah. so excited that they can't figure out like what it is to say and they want to impress this person who they look up to so much. What's funny is that like every in my experience is that most of the time if like you're just like, hey, I just really love everything you do and I appreciate you know what you contribute, like they fucking love that more than trying to find some sort of way to be their friend for five seconds you know um but that's uh, yeah most of the time like they're just like cool with meeting fans that want to like 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 love what they're doing um i don't know about you i don't know how you like like it's kind of been for you but that's usually like the case in my ex in my experience yeah Maybe one day one day i'll get to experience that and i'll be like oh this is what it's like yeah i'm uh i'm trying to think of like the last time that i'd would have had that happen i know that if i ever met ozzy i would probably punish him so <laughs> i can't like i can't talk shit about uh anyone for punishing anyone because i know what would happen if i met ozzy and if i met james hetfield <laughs> yeah yeah i mean like yeah i can put myself in those shoes too um well like so like uh, uh billy strings is like a, a buddy of mine and we were like running around Lollapalooza when he played and like the, that was it was one of those scenarios where like we couldn't walk more than like a few feet without somebody like Billy, I love your music and stuff like that. And it was really really cool. And he's really good at handling that stuff at this point. He's really good at like being able to interact with all like all of his fans and talk to them on a very personal level. And still, like, all right, cool, see you later. Like, I'm on my way to a thing. Um, but that was like the amount of repeated statements that like every single fan that was coming up to him was like kind of saying, if not the same thing, like really close to the same thing. And so like, I could just see that becoming like, I think actually I watched that interview, um, an interview that, that, that you did where they were just, they were just like, yeah, like I've answered these same questions so many times already, you know, like we're not doing anybody any favors by having me answer these questions. <laughs> like, do you have anything more interesting to ask me about? Um, oh, yeah, that was uh, Lex from Three Teeth yeah 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 because we were yeah. talking about like the standard uh boilerplate interviews that like everyone does for like every rock mag and like every rock mag kind of has like these boilerplate interviews that they do uh especially in like front of the the magazine sections when it's just like the shorter interviews you can kind of like without looking at an interview guess approximately what questions are probably going to be asked before you ever see the interview right yeah it's um i'm sure that you're i'm sure you are and most viewers are um aware of like nardwar but like his interviews are always super impressive yeah i still i still I, every time that i see him put a new interview out i try to like figure out like all right he has to know somebody in in that band's camp or that that artist's camp that's willing to connect them to like an old family member or something because he's got to have some sort of inside line to somebody that's known them for since they were like in high school or something to get some of that information. Yeah. Yeah. I love that, that combo of that. And just like, um, there's interviews that he does where they're kind of just generally aloof. Um, like there's, a um, uh, just bringing up Henry Rollins again. There's like a great one that he did with him several years ago mm -hmm. where he's, <laughs> you can just kind of tell the, I think it was the first one that he ever did with Henry. Cause he's done a few of them. 
Uh, but Henry's just kind of got like this this look on his face like he's puzzled by what's going on in this interview. <laughs> Not everybody is reacting in a shocked format. Some people are just genuinely freaked out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um, uh, speaking of festivals, uh, you just mentioned Lollapalooza. I know we were both at uh, Riot Fest. I'm still super jealous that you were side stage for Misfits. Uh, it's like I was on their guest list and I was still just kind of like out uh, with everyone else. But it was still super cool uh, to get comp to that and, you know, finally get to see them with uh, Danzig fronting them. Because I'd seen yeah, like every other awesome. kind of uh, amalgamation of them before that. Right. Well, what's interesting, so like... Um weird like synchronicity stuff was that like like the first time that they they got that got like jerry only and um and and glenda play together uh what was it 2014 riot fest i think like the year that public enemy played i think so because i know that um i went to 2011 riot fest when i lived here the first time and that was the first time that um glenn and doyle had reunited and they did like the glenn okay. solo set then a sam Hain set then a misfit set okay i just remember the misfit set. i was very intoxicated um for that first one but honestly that's that riot fest is one of the main reasons why i moved to chicago like i fell in love with the city coming into town for riot fest i just loved how riot fest basically took the city over for a weekend like every single city bus had like a big giant riot fest wrap on it you couldn't be on you couldn't get into the l without seeing like riot fest advertisements on it um there was bands doing meet and greets and signings all over the city at different record stores and shit it was just like one of those things where i was just like man like not only is it fucking chicago there's a million things happening and there's so much going on but, you know, like the, the, the culture there was just so alive and so active. And I would just like every year after that, I came back for Riot Fest. I think the only Riot Fest I didn't come back for, and I'm still kicking myself for, was uh, the No Doubt reunion. I really wish I would have came for that one. But I just, I, I don't think that there was anybody else in the lineup that I was like super stoked on or that I, or I was just broke at the time and I couldn't afford it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, side stage for, side stage for Misfits was weird because there was, one, I wasn't supposed to be up there. I'm probably telling on myself, but we kind of walked <laughs> past security. Um, and my friend that was with me actually got stopped by security, but they didn't come after they didn't come after me to come up and like make me show my 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 wristband or anything. Um, but there was like there was a gate and then a couple people and then like a gate and then a couple more people. And so like I was all the way in the back trying to look through people's shoulders, you know. Uh, but it was still really cool to see it up that up that close. And you could the band was having a blast you know you can tell when the band's having a good time because they're looking off side stage at their friend and they're smiling and like fucking around and stuff and it was just kind of cool to see misfits that up close and on top of that they're fucking jamming and having a blast um it was yeah it was a really good time yeah i know uh danzig tries not to smile most of the time but uh i saw him smiling a lot during that set <laughs> yeah yeah they were it seemed like they were having a lot of fun yeah. uh my, my buddy was teching for him which was actually how i got into the festival and so like i got to like sit and like bullshit a little bit about that and <laughs> it's funny how many guitars that that band like needs for shows because he's seriously used to, he's like i spent all day just restringing their guitars yeah. <laughs> there's so many guitars for this show yeah I, um i got in from like uh 
I guess last November, uh, I had AC Slade on the show and he's their uh, live guitarist now. Uh, oh, okay. Shout out to AC with the uh, Catfight Coffee. Uh, so they got a Misfits <laughs> blend now uh, that's uh, like a red velvet flavor. It's really fucking good. But, oh, uh, it's called Crimson Roast. That. Oh, that's a great name. Yeah. <laughs> that's a great name. I love a good pun. That's a great name. Um, yeah, but uh, it was... Um, <laughs> The thing that that kept cracking me up during that set though was um Glenn's stage banter because every single thing that he said ended with <laughs> and it was all just like so old guy over the top jokes. like cheesy. <laughs> he kept like, like the... <laughs> just making fun of people like he was like oh yeah this one was written with real instruments and shit like yeah. that. <laughs> he's like the there was a couple of times he's just like I bet your parents are upset that we're back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i remember dude that was so that that was what everybody was like kind of joking about it the other night that was hilarious um <laughs> but i mean like yeah i mean like on the subject of riot fest like you can kind of like you've been going to them for years too and like it's just such a cool unique thing i've had more cool things happen to me in my life at riot fest than anything else i've ever done in my life or career yeah as far as like meeting interesting people uh being backstage when i wasn't supposed to be uh you know like now they're gonna be like that guy you know what i mean like not gonna let me back there anymore but it's still like it's it's a very special festival and i think like 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 more people i wish that like it like still had the same attraction that it used to have um i think covid obviously is like put them in a place of having to rebuild like it did to a lot of people and uh I'm glad that they're still doing it though, because a lot of a lot of a lot of festivals gave up. A lot of places were just like, this isn't gonna work. And they lost a lot of money on like a lot of stuff being canceled for COVID. Yeah, yeah. No, I was I was glad that um that there was the turnout that there was because there were so many people there that like texting didn't work. Like yeah. I I had no signal at all because there's just so many people in one place. Um, uh, but like they do kind of need to figure out the logistics of getting people out of there afterwards too, though. <laughs> that was a night yeah. on the way there though, was probably like, I, so on the L uh, on the way there, I knew that it was going to be a good day uh, because I, I looked over at one point and realized that I was like standing. So I was packed in with a ton of other people and I look over and I realized that um, the person that's like right next to me, is uh former like wwe women's champion lita uh so Fuck, she's just like really? in the back of this like pink line car with a couple of people that she knew so i'm just like standing there like be cool be cool don't act like you know who she is uh because i was just mm -hmm. like i didn't want to like be that person because there's just like so many fucking people on this car or whatever um wait is it, is it lita from like like the hardy boys yeah Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, oh, she yeah. was just like randomly on this L card. I think it was because uh, Alex is on fire used to do her uh, entrance theme. Mm -hmm. But um, um, yeah, I, uh, I was just like too awestruck that by this like whole chance thing that I was just like, I don't even want to take any chance on like annoying her by saying anything. I'm just going to like be happy <laughs> with the fact that I just like by chance ended up standing next to her on an L train. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like a lot of people come in for it like i mean the first year i met doug benson like he was just hanging out smoking weed you know i think he like tweeted out like if you want to smoke weed with me i'm at the i'm at the uh the ferris wheel and i was like 
let's go see what that's going what's happening <laughs> over there um you know got to like meet him i i uh yeah i mean like just so many weird occurrences have happened during that festival where i've just like got to like meet random celebrities or like ran into bands or you know like and like made a lot of connections like in my professional career too like just like getting to like sit and bullshit with somebody and then after you've talked to them for like 10 15 minutes they finally tell you what they do you know and it's just like oh i'm so and so from this record label and you're just like oh cool <laughs> i had no idea that i was sitting there talking to you um i've never had a bad time at riot fest i've had bands i didn't care about but i've never had a bad time yeah you know i've uh i'm in the same boat like i I'm kind of in that boat with uh, pretty much every festival that I've gone to. Cause I can't remember like before the riot fest, I used to go to like Ozfest all the time back in the day, like every year that that happened. Um, mm-hmm. Like the last like several years that it happened anyway, like Oh four through Oh eight, I think um, I went to those and then it became uh the warp tour people started doing that mayhem fest and i went oh, to yeah. a few of those because they had some pretty decent uh lineups the, mm-hmm. the years that that ran and um the guarbecue every year that i went to the guarbecue was uh was fantastic i'm still mad that i never went to one oh i'm, I'm like yeah i fucked up not going to any of those did yeah, I got ever, into you... like three of them with photo passes. Uh, so like I got to get like up close. I got to shoot uh, I Hate God. So every time that I've seen I Hate God, it's never been with Mike uh, singing for them or they've mm-hmm. had to cancel. Uh, so like I've I've only gotten out of all the like three or four times that I've tried to see them. Uh, something has happened and they've had to cancel or Mike was replaced by Phil Anselmo, which oh, was really? also. Inter- yeah, so I've seen That's I Hate God with Phil fronting them. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. didn't even know that Phil like ever like filled in to like frontman for him. Yeah, That's he did the barbecue in twenty sixteen because twenty fifteen was the year that Down played. Okay, did you ever go to uh, Tattoo the Earth when that like had this little short run? Nah. So that was like uh, Paul Booth's like metal festival that I think he did. I, I think maybe Roadrunner was involved with that. I don't remember, but it was like Slipknot was headlining. It was like the first big tour that Mudbane did. Yeah, that um, was like late 90s. I was, I think that happened when I was still in like middle school. Oh yeah, no, my my, my stepdad took me. Like I had to oh, be yeah. escorted by an adult. <laughs> yeah, I never could get my parents to take me to stuff except for um, um, when I was in ninth grade, twice I got my... um my mom one time and my dad the other time to take me to see uh <laughs> this is like so fucking random uh this band primer 55 that were on like island records i remember primer 55 their guitarist bobby burns was from my hometown and through happenstance i ended up connecting with his family because this guy who worked for my mom uh at this furniture store that she managed at the time uh went to high school with bobby and was talking about how he knew him. So I emailed Bobby through like the band's webpage at the time and was like, hey, does this guy actually know you? And he sent his parents to the furniture store to like bring me a bunch of merch. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so like they, uh, I went to a couple of their shows like after that and uh, they let me get on stage and sing with them a couple of times. (laughs) Oh, damn. I mean, 
that's so random that you would bring up primer for defense. Dude, I'm pretty sure that, like, I, I have a terrible memory for this because I was in high school at the time, but, it, like, I was in a new metal band, and I'm pretty sure that we opened up for them once in, like, Kalamazoo, <laughs> Michigan, or something like that. Is either Primer 55 or that really, I don't want to say, I don't want to talk shit about them, but, like, I'm not a big fan, but that band Dope. Yeah, they, uh, their first, like, two albums especially, I always thought were, like, pretty solid for that time period, and they always kind of yeah. stuck out to me as more of, like, a, um, I had a hard time just kind of categorizing them as, like, straight up new metal, because they felt kind of like they had that sleazy like gutter vibe like gnr had early on yeah you know? and their singer like um edsel he used like a really interesting effect on his vocal that kind of like added like a like a bubbling effect to it yeah um it almost gave it like like borderline industrial kind of vibes um, yeah because they sampled a lot too yeah i do I, I did like that rat cover that they did that was always really cool yeah um and I like the fact that like Edsel's out with Static X and they like, no matter how much evidence is out there that that's who it is, like he refuses to say that it's him. <laughs> <laughs> like it's, it's, I don't know. It's kind of like when Slipknot was like still a mystery and nobody knew what they looked like behind their masks. Yeah. It um, kind of ruins like... the fun though. Like I, uh, I'm still kind of upset that I know that Poppy Emeritus is uh, Tobias Forge you know oh yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, although like i mean it's crazy the lengths that he went to to change his ide identity you know like even when like it was like a new papa like it was like he, he would take and put prosthetics on the old prosthetics so that way it wouldn't like form to the same face it would still look different like he would really go out of his way for that shit yeah and then that's another guy like i'm sure that you've seen him before but that's another guy that like kind of like danzig that makes a lot of like old man dad jokes on stage the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> when he played recently he's like yeah you guys in, in Chicago you really know how to rock and like that was all that he really had to say yeah yeah so I feel like that's that's like an intentional part of his gimmick versus uh I think the the Danzig like dad joke thing is unintentional because I think that his his are like there's a little bit of a trying to be edgy uh air to yeah. it yeah and it doesn't always land <laughs> well yeah. i mean that's all right i mean i i love danzig and i, I love the misfits but nobody was ever like tuning in to get his opinion on stuff you know like <laughs> yeah you know that's that's the uh, boat that i end up in on megadeth all the time where i'm just like anytime that dave mustaine starts talking about like social issues or anything i'm just like shut up and play your guitar dude <laughs> i don't care <laughs> well it was like i mean um controversial to maybe like even bring up the subject but like when he did rogan I was really excited because I was like, oh man, Rogan's going to just ask him about like the old Metallica days and like back and touring. And he was, and that's what he was trying to talk about. And then Dave would bring it back to something that was, you know, so, so political or some, some, some sort of a weird opinion. And it was just like, come on, man, just you're a legend. Let's just talk about like the metal world that you've been a part of. Uh, but weird story about Megadeth that, that now that that comes up. Um, when I was probably like 26, I had won a free... I won a free flight out to Phoenix to go to um, God damn, Hell City, the tattoo convention that they do. And uh, 
Slayer was was playing with Megadeth in town in Phoenix, and me and my buddy decided to try to go down and see if we can buy tickets off of some scalpers because uh, it was sold out. Uh, he owned a tattoo shop. I looked like I do, and he had like he was like this big, tall dude with you know, like he looked very. He stuck out like a sore thumb, but he looked like a metal guy, you know. So we wandered around and found where like the buses were parked, and the doors to get into the venue weren't guarded by security or anything. And so like I he like kind of looked at me and he just picked up his phone and pretended to like start talking to somebody. So I was like, yeah, totally. And I like, did that and I like, just followed him and we walked in. And as soon as the security guard started to talk to us, he was just like, "Where's I got to get backstage. And he was like, oh, yeah, it's up the stairs. Um, and so we walked through this area. Right. And we, we have never been to this venue. It's a massive theater. And we just start walking and we're sort of hearing like what sounds like Megadeth kind of off in the distance. So we're just sort of like walking towards the noise. And we come around a corner and out of nowhere, we're side stage. <laughs> it's like me and my buddy and like three other people and we're watching Megadeth and they start Symphony of Destruction. And it was just like, holy fuck. And so we're standing there and we watch them finish their set and, you know, they're starting to come off of stage. We have no passes, no wristbands, no fucking tickets. And so like, we're just like, we're going to get caught. We need to go. And so we walk behind the stage to the stairs security guard starts beelining it towards us he's like what are you doing back here and we're like where's the bathrooms and he's like through that fucking door and we're like all right cool and we walked that door and we were just on the other side of the ticket takers <laughs> so then we just walked in found some seats sat down and and got to watch slayer and it was amazing but yeah it was uh, my, my first foray into um uh just act like you're supposed to be there and nobody asks any questions yeah yeah it's uh <laughs> It's a thing that like I've done so many times uh, over the year too, as far as just like, um, well, some of it not always legal, but <laughs> um, I was trying to think of a story that I could get into, and I was only thinking of uh, stuff where I've done the act like you're supposed to be there, and you can just walk out with whatever you want. Oh <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> uh, back in high school. <laughs> <laughs> like i don't know if i want to incriminate myself in anything <laughs> i mean I, th I feel like you're past the limit of when they could probably oh, yeah, take the you to limitations yeah mm -hmm. so it's probably not the best thing to have out there either way uh despite yeah, the fact that i'm on the internet yeah i'm definitely not proud of it uh for the record but you know shit happens it was what it was <laughs> hey man if it makes you feel any better when i was in in high school i got caught stealing an m&m cd from local grocery store so we all do dumb shit <laughs> oh, i never got caught that was the that's the thing of it too is like i was i just hit a point where i was like uh hey i might as well stop taking chances on this because it's yeah. gonna happen sooner or later um right yeah but yeah, no, I've uh, had you for about uh, two hours now. So uh, Jesus, dude, I'm sorry, man. Oh, no, it's um, all good. This I is going to be the uh, longest episode yet. <laughs> gosh, I don't mean to capture capture that uh, and enforce your audience to listen to me for that long. Um, <laughs> I should I should probably touch on a few things coming up. Like uh, th if this comes out um, next week from this Wednesday, uh, we'll actually be like a week away from doing the Choke Burger. Do you know Choke from Green Bay? Yeah. Um, they just released a record. So we're going to do a burger for them for a weekend and they're going to do an event over at Meteor Gem. Um, and we're going to host an after party. So anybody that's watching that's into choke, you want to come hang out They're They're going to be around and doing some cool shit. And then we're going to have a burger for them. 
uh, literally just put the event page up before. That's what I was working on before I came over here to do this. Um, I'm trying to think. Obviously, Sleep Burger's coming back. Uh, so be stoked on that. And then December's going to be cool. We have a really, really sick legendary Metal Blade band um, that we're going to be doing in December. So I, I'll let people speculate on that. But um, I should probably talk about some of those things. Otherwise, my bosses would be like, you went on there for two hours and you didn't tell any of the stuff that we're doing. <laughs> so you got the Delta ATHC now too. We do, yeah. And I was actually just over there talking. We're going to try to develop like a mocktail uh, menu around around that. So, I mean, the whole point of that was to try to create a um, an opportunity for like like sober people, not I guess like not sober, California sober people to, you know, be able to go out and still enjoy like a bar atmosphere with their friends and not have to drink alcohol. Yeah. So that was fun. I learned all about the laws of how um, the, the hemp law is... Uh, like circumvents so many things. <laughs> if it, hey, if it's derived from hemp, like the plant hemp, it's legal. Um, so like that's how you're seeing like a lot of places sell um, Delta 9 THC now is they figured out how to extract that from hemp. So yeah. like now you don't even need like legit cannabis plants in order to get like the THC that most people are used to. Yeah, I'm still confused how a lot of that works. because I know like recreational is... Is it legal across all of Illinois or just Chicago? Oh, I don't know. Because uh, I, I, I know there's know. dispensaries here, but um, I get confused on how all of that works as far as like it being decriminalized in some places and legal for recreational use in other places and like what that means as far as how businesses can operate because there's just like so many, uh, there's so many nuances from like place to place. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, like it's kind of gotten to a point now where most of the police are just, they, it's a waste of their time, waste yeah. of their money. Like, unless like that's where they like really like kind of make money on finding people on, you know, like they're not really looking for it. And I mean, none of that is me advocating for anybody to go out there and like, you know, tempt the law. Uh, but that's just been my experience is that for the most part, they don't give a shit. Yeah. I mean, just legalize it nationally already and tax it, and make the money off of it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's yeah. really fucking crazy to me and like i'm this is the only political thing that I'll, I'll mention is that you have you have a president that's floundering and he's doing everything that he possibly can to win the favor of the people right and here's yeah. your opportunity to fucking save our country from going into a recession just legalize it and bring us a brand new industry that is going to employ tens of thousands of people hundreds of thousands millions of people um i mean like look at what the cigarette company the 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 alcohol companies all of those like that those industries are multi-trillion dollar industries and this president would rather just like not deal with the backlash of being the guy that legalized weed versus doing something positive for our country but yeah whatever that's just my 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 pleb perspective <laughs> yeah there's uh I guess I'm always kind of like to joke about what the next uh, push to have legalized after that would be. And my, my favorite uh, joke that I've ever heard from anyone else about it was a running joke in one of the grand theft auto games where uh, on the, the radio uh, stations on there, there would be these um, fake commercials where they were promoting uh, medical cocaine yeah <laughs> which is actually a thing in real life still but uh <laughs> right right yeah you can still get a prescription for it somehow yeah. 
Um, I mean, it's usually some sort of like weird well, liquid yeah, form usually, or something. It's, it's used as a local anesthetic in hospitals still, I think is the right. main thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, but I mean, like, honestly, like, what have we learned when things get legalized? Oh, the black market diminishes. Um, <laughs> there's less like nonviolent criminals in jail, you know, like, oh, we make a shit ton of money in taxes. I mean, Denver made so much money in taxes that they were like just giving it back to people. <laughs> like they were finding, figuring out ways to like give it back. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I get really frustrated on this topic because it just seems like such a fucking obvious choice, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's uh there's some things that I understand wanting to have limits on because they will legitimately like wreck entire lives, but weed's not one of them, you know. I'm I don't think yeah. psilocybin's probably one of them either, but uh that's like a whole other hurdle to get across because uh you know, the whatever kind of stigma there is around that there's stigma yeah. around everything in some way but we're getting there man we yeah. are we're getting there i mean look at the fact of like where like how metal has been incorporated into culture you know when like when you and i were in high school you know wearing a metal like dude i i wore the fucking cradle of filth jesus is a cunt t-shirt out uh when i was at psycho fest this year so many people stopped me and was like, I fucking love that shirt, man. And I was just like, yeah, because I had to fucking take it off and turn it inside out in high school. <laughs> <laughs> like, this, like, it's just crazy to me that like what was taboo and scary and like bad for us as a society is now, you know, it now Harley Quinn is totally fine with, you know, being associated with, you know, something that was a kid's cartoon at one point, you know, can be associated with a heavy metal burger joint yeah and nobody blink nobody blinks an eye and nobody thinks anything odd about that you know and like when we first did the ghost burger we were being protested we bring the ghost burger back and not a single email <laughs> from the catholic church nobody gave a shit when we brought it back <laughs> i mean besides the people that love the burger and love the band i mean like people cared about it. i'm not saying that but the people that were protesting us did not give a shit yeah you know it's uh I don't know it's it's weird like how much things change over time but then still how many things kind of like stay the same because there is still that satanic panic coming back too which uh is just endlessly amusing to me but uh yeah 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 I don't understand. And, well, and on that I'm mean, we're also like and it's not announced yet and hopefully nobody gets mad at me for saying this but we're working on trying to do a screening for black roses and in, in theater at music box soon um which that's just one of my favorite movies. So like, I'm really stoked. It's, uh, the whole thing is just all about satanic band comes to town and turns all the kids into demons. <laughs> <laughs> so that'll be a fun one to play in theaters. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I want to take up uh, any more of your time. So uh, yeah, let's uh, do this again sometime. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Um, hit me up sometime and we'll get a, go grab a burger and a beer. <laughs>